Voices are exotic dancers enter one by one Make love to all of your orifices in your seduction Hello and welcome to Ear Seduction. I'm your host, Paul Schilling. In this episode, we continue our discussion with the fundamentalist Christian Nathan Spears. I think you'll discover that at the beginning of this episode, I'm a little punchy with Nathan, uh, and that was due to a phone conversation we had over the first episode where he intimated to me that he didn't, or excuse me, that I didn't allow him to speak enough. <laughs> Of course, I thought this was preposterous, and probably due to the fact that I let him drone on for nearly three hours. Uh, if you recall from the first episode, he did fail to make his point. He did fail to get any buy-in. He didn't make hardly any sense at all, and honestly failed to secure his position, the position that he came on this podcast to plant and defend. He mentions this in the beginning of this podcast and says that he wants to try again. <laughs> so he's going to yet again explain to us the thing that he couldn't figure out how to get across over the last three hours. This is another three-hour uh, podcast. It is a little bit painfully long, although uh, I will say this. The conversation, uh, as I'm re-listening to it now, is uh, very interesting. It's funny. Um, and I really hammer him this time. So, if you want to hear my reasoning and the way that I try to reason with people, this is a great episode for that. He, he, he does all manner of bizarre little mental mind flips trying to wiggle in and out of what his definitions are and what he's trying to say. And he's, he's trying to cause all kinds of confusions and problems. And all he ends up doing is really confusing himself. I hope that comes through. But uh, before I sully and muddy the waters too much, although you have last episode to do that for you, or, you know, where Nathan himself did that, uh, I bring to you episode two, season two of Ear Seduction, featuring my discussion with a fundamentalist Christian, Nathan Spears. Welcome again. I'm here with Nathan, who, if you recall, uh, he and I had a discussion where he took. Um, you didn't take a theist position, but you announced yourself as a theist, as a, right. a, a, a Christian, and I took a uh, sort of a back seat. Although I, in in retrospect, maybe I spoke a little too much. Right. <laughs> um, well, that was some of the feedback that we had during our phone conversation. Mm. But um, we're going to get after it again. And this time, instead of Nathan taking down science, uh, I am going to flip the script and I am going to ask some questions and and describe some of my problems with religion. And then Nathan is going to uh, establish his views on those and rebut what I say, maybe, or I don't, I don't know exactly what you're going to do, but... I'm going to tell you my problem with religion and how I don't think it, it is a valid worldview or how it's a valid place to start from and some of my problems. So my takedown will commence. But first, I wanted to give Nathan a few minutes uh, to sort of clarify, uh, reiterate what he had said in the first podcast and deliver a punchline that he said he wasn't able to get to in the last uh, episode. So I want to make sure that he gets to that. So I'll just uh, concede the floor to you, Nathan. Thanks, Paul. Um, I think we had a great discussion last time. I think we really got into the the edges of why the, the two worldviews uh, don't don't line up with each other and um, don't seem very compatible at this stage in history. And we had a very back and forth conversation, which I enjoyed. I do think that 
re-listening to it, I could see where you were asking questions that I wasn't answering. And then I think you mentioned that you had gotten the same feedback from some of the listeners that they weren't sure why I was bringing up such and such a point. So hopefully yeah, I, I can... Think, I think there was a little bit of general confusion about what you were trying to say. Okay. I'll so put it that way. Let me lay out a road view. Uh, excuse me, a roadmap, and then um, and then go through the roadmap and and elaborate on it a little bit. The roadmap is this: that science doesn't require a worldview. The practice of science, methodological naturalism, is not a worldview, but a mental toolkit. What uh, John Verveke calls a psychotechnology. What that tells us is uh, is that science is not a worldview in itself. It only makes certain requirements of a worldview. For example, that there is a material world that exists. That's step one. From there, we could begin to talk about what kinds of things science doesn't provide that I would like my worldview to provide. What I had hoped to do in our first conversation was to lay out a preliminary sketch of all the ways which, even from within the scientific worldview, I can begin to see the constraints and metaphysical boundaries it places on me, and perhaps later in a second conversation to talk about how I think religion addresses those problems. I think that would have been a more interesting way to have the conversation, as that is in fact how I made the journey in my own life, but we got into a different kind of discussion pretty early on, and that's fine. Um, so with that roadmap in mind, let's go over the things I tried to lay out to get to that point. First, here's the quote in full from John Verveke about worldview. A worldview is two things simultaneously. One, a model of the world, and two, a model for acting in that world. It turns the individual into an agent who acts, and it turns the world into an arena in which those actions make sense. I want to make the connection that if science doesn't have an account of consciousness, the thing which does science, then it cannot have account of all of reality because consciousness exists. Furthermore, I don't see any indication that science can ever have a full account of consciousness in scientific terms as we understand them today, because scientific measurements have no access to conscious experiences. Perhaps science will improve in the future to the point where it can measure those experiences directly. But as far as I can see right now, that's not even on the menu. There's a lot of philosophical nuance that we could get into here, but the broad point I want to make is that conscious experiences are primarily first person. They have a perspective. If I want my worldview to include everything I know exists in reality, then I want it to account for these first person experiences as part of the world. There seems to be some confusion about why I'm making this point. Do I mean that science doesn't work because it doesn't have an account of these experiences? No, I'm making the opposite point. Science works without needing to account for them. What I interpret this to mean is that science does not require a comprehensive worldview in order to work. The scientific method does not need to have any account of how consciousness exists in the world for scientific progress to happen, although the scientific method does require a consciousness to do science. The conclusion here is not that the output of science is a failure of some kind. I'm not taking science down or taking shots at science. I'm merely trying to establish that science doesn't require access to all of reality in order to be an effective tool. This will allow us to contextualize science as what it is, not a worldview, but a tool. So now that I've tried to make this point, I don't know if you're with me so far, but we'll get into that later. Now that I've tried to make this point that science is a tool, what conclusions would I draw from that? I'm going to use a, a, an analogy here, which I didn't get into last time, so I apologize if I'm laying out more. Um, it would be good to get your one-two punch and then your conclusion. It w that would be good. Other than, because what you've given me so far is a lot of stuff to rebut, and I get I get where you're going, uh, but 
the 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 key here is science is not a valid worldview or not a valid starting position for the reasons you've that's the punchline right well not a valid worldview so i just i mean i think not valid is not the point that i've just made it's that science is a toolkit it doesn't require a worldview now you're saying why can't we use that toolkit you're asking now why can't we use that toolkit to build a worldview is that is that where you're headed no i'm trying to parse out from you what it is that you are trying to say you are taking down science i just said i'm not taking down science i know but in the first podcast you said specifically in your email that you were going to and that's what and you, you keep saying i said no, that i'm going to try to establish said it that, that science said. does not have access to all of reality Okay. Currently, science does not understand all of that is in reality. That is true. Does it have to in order to be a, a, a worldview? Well, if science exists in the world mm -hmm. and consciousness exists in the world to do science and okay. you want to have a worldview mm -hmm. and you know that things exist, but you don't have an account for them, mm -hmm. how can your worldview accommodate them without an account of them? Okay, so that's your big problem. That is part of my big problem. Okay, okay. If you well, want, if you want to stop there, well, no, if that's no, no. as far as we've gotten, then you we can, can go. We can do go your, from there. Do you, oh, let's do this. Do your metaphor, um, or you said metaphor, right? Yeah. Do your metaphor, and then I want to. I want to take this idea on that. That uh, I want to take Vervecki's definition. That's the one you like, and we're, I. I think it's easy enough to describe why science covers all of that. But we'll get okay. into that. Okay. But let's hear your or your metaphor. Okay. I want to hear what you have to say. Great. So I'm going to ask you to paint a picture in your mind. First, picture everything which the human consciousness is capable of experiencing as fitting into, let's say, a large circle. Perceptions, emotions, sensations, thoughts, mental models, pattern matching. Lump it all together. Okay. Now, picture a smaller circle within that larger circle. In this smaller circle is the scientific toolkit, scientific ways of thinking. Um, this smaller circle contains mental models for screening evidence to meet scientific standards, mental models of testable hypotheses, um, mental models for testing methods, etc. Okay. For the scientifically minded person, this circle is sort of a filter for finding true knowledge. Every experience from outside this circle might have some truth in it, but we have to pass it through this scientific circle individually and also collectively, meaning each individual person has to do that, and then groups of scientists also do the same thing, verifying other people's mental models and so forth. Sure. In uh, collectively and over time, meaning we don't just do it for a year, we, we establish sciences which have pedigrees of course right? yeah mm -hmm. yeah to be sure if it's an ongoing process yes to be sure if any given experience is knowledge or not if it's connected to reality or not right i lost my place oh <laughs> if i'm being generous i think that a scientifically minded person might hope that eventually we will be able to pass all human experience from outside that scientific circle including conscious experiences through the scientific circle so that we can know its purpose and of what use it is to connect us to reality or not through sciences like psychology, neuroscience, sociology. Sure. But I think in practice, the average scientifically minded person following a long tradition in science thinks that most of what happens in human consciousness outside that science, outside that scientific circle is a kind of emotional nonsense and has nothing to do with reality. Post Darwin, they're likely to think it's just a messy byproduct of evolutionary processes. 
I don't know if there's any validity to that, but go ahead. Okay. I want to first point out how this analogy can help illustrate why science is not a worldview. Well, wait a second. Okay. That's your analogy? That there's a big circle and inside that circle, there's a smaller circle and that smaller circle is a scientific worldview. And then there's, I guess, a whole bunch of other stuff happening inside your head that isn't scientifically verifiable or something. I think the first thing I would want to say is that not that it's not scientifically verifiable, but that it's, um, we could verify that it's happening, for example, but we couldn't verify or we could unverify, we could uh, disprove that it's actually connected to anything real, right? Like I could have some idea. How, about, how do we connect, How do we do that? How, do, uh, how could we ever disprove that something that's happening isn't happen, isn't connected to anything real? I don't, here, here's where here's where I had a big problem with uh, the last uh, discussion. Okay, you would say stuff like that, and that doesn't make any sense. That has no. You now have to define all your words and and make some sense of that. That doesn't make any sense the way it's stated. So, for example, if I see that everything that um, that falls off of high places goes to lower places, or everything that moves off of higher places goes to lower places, right? Okay. I might have some idea that um, angels or demons are invisible angels or demons with strings are pulling things downward. Okay. Right? Or I might think that... Um, well, let's just stick that, with that. Angels or demons are actually gravity instead of gravity. Well, okay. I was going to bring up how the ancient Greek philosophers had all these ideas about the four elements that the sure. earth, things return to the earth because of the earth they have in them, right? Sure. Okay, so... But let's just stick with angels and demons. That's fine. So, so I have this thought, but until I can pass that thought through my scientific circle, my way of verifying that that thought that I had, this pattern that this idea appeared yeah exactly that yeah. appeared in my head or that i came up with somehow mm -hmm. um of establishing <clears throat> whether it's sense or nonsense mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. so that's what i'm saying it's like you know or uh, so you're saying i'm that talking about ideas now right right this second mm -hmm. but i also think this pertains directly to our discussion last week in which um we were talking about morality and we brought up this idea of feeling empathy for another person. I'm sure. suggesting that in the scientific mindset, in order to know if that empathy is connected to reality in any way, I need to pass it through the scientific toolkit in order to and understand. I don't understand why you're making that distinction. Why would you have to say that you have to pass it through some scientific toolkit to determine if it's... What else would it be connected to if not reality? Do, do, you, do you acknowledge that empathy is an emotion that human beings have? Of course. Do you acknowledge that humans are real? Yes. Okay, then it happens in reality. What else do you need? So it, so it happens in reality, right? Yeah. But it's also a signal, maybe we could say it's information of some kind about reality as well, right? Well, it's my response to another person's, let's say, suffering right. in reality. How is that any different than just it's connected to reality because I saw somebody suffering and I felt empathy for them? What other connection do you need? The connection is... is is that information actionable and useful, or is it deceiving me in some way about the nature of reality? 
right? If I want to act like in the same way what? that I have some some thought about how um, angels or demons are pulling things down to the ground, is that right. actionable? Is that useful information? Should I try to base my actions on this idea that I have, on this sensation? Okay. Empathy, I don't see any difference between that ultimately. It's, you don't see it's any difference between angels and demons and empathy? I'm saying it's something that occurred to me in my mind. It's happening in my isolated experience, and I want to know if I should act on it. Okay. So I need to pass this through. For the scientifically minded, as far as I understand you, we can use reason and evidence to determine all of our actions, right? We can create a scientific worldview, which enables us to take actions that make sense in the world. It sounds like you're saying that empathy isn't evidential. That's exactly what I'm saying. Why are you saying that? It's happening in a thing that exists, a human being. It can be linked to chemical reactions in our brain, and it's in response to stimulus that happens outside of our body. It's, it's another person in the world that we see suffering, therefore we get a chemical response in our brain. Mm -hmm. This is all evidence. This but, is all evidential. But I could say everything that you said except for talking about empathy directly, I could also say about the angels and the demons. No, you couldn't. I could you say couldn't, it's you chemicals firing them. in my brain in no, response to some stimuli that no, I had from the outside world. No, you could not. You could absolutely not say that. You cannot say angels and demons are firing chemicals in your brain. You would have to show the angels and demons. I'm saying a human being, I can demonstrate this human being is suffering. I can, anybody can walk up to the human being and, and ascertain that it's suffering. And that experience is causing a chemical reaction in my brain. Mm -hmm. There's no angel, there's no demon. You'd have to demonstrate the angel or the demon. And you can't do that. But you're leaving out the... the... <laughs> okay, let me see if I can... <sighs> well, let's, let's, let's try to take it from a different... No, no, no. This, you want to hit this? No, this okay. is useful. This is useful. Okay. So, because you're saying angels so, and demons are the same as empathy, and no, that's no, no. factually what, what incorrect. Saying, yes, obviously, it's not the same thing. I'm making an analogy, right? Okay, so I, I'm out in the world. Mm -hmm. I see something fall off of a cliff or a rock. That's something that I experienced, right? Sure. And then in my mind arose this idea that mm -hmm. angels or demons pulled it down. Okay. I, okay, so we're done with that, right? I'm out in the world again. Mm -hmm. I see someone starving on a street corner. A feeling of empathy arises in me. Okay. What is, in your mind, what is the difference between the feeling uh, or this sensation that angels or demons are pulling the rock down and I feel empathy for another human sitting on the street corner. Well, you're not sensing angels and demons. That's what you're saying is making the rock fall down. Okay. You don't know why the rock is falling because let's say you're ignorant of gravity okay. and you're saying, I think it's angels and demons. Okay. So you're making a claim about why the rock is falling down. Okay. What force... That's exactly what I'm saying is, about empathy. Well, it's a on. kind Let of me claim. Finish. You're, you're saying this is the force that's driving the rock to the ground. Okay. Okay? Okay. And you can't prove that. You can't demonstrate any angels or demons. It's just an ignorant thing that you thought. Okay. Right? Okay. Now, in relation to you see somebody starving, you said, on the street, sure. and you feel empathetic, why did you feel empathetic is the same question as why did the rock fall down. Okay. The, the equivalence isn't that you had a thought in your head, and therefore empathy is the same as thinking angels and demons. Okay. Having thoughts in your head is something you do, mm. but that doesn't equate the feeling of empathy to why you think a rock fell down. Right. Why do you think you felt empathy for that person would be an equivalence. Right. So, and that's doesn't, you don't seem to understand that just because you have a thought in your brain 
about why something happened mm. doesn't mean that that's an equivalent to you had a thought in your brain in relation to something that actually did happen. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. But I'm, I'm, I'm making the exact same point. I'm saying you haven't provided any justification for the empathy. Like I absolutely you, can provide justification for why people feel empathy for other people. Okay. It's called science. It's called evolutionary uh, psychology. We feel but, empathy for people. There's a whole realm of science that describes why social creatures in social situations feel empathy for one another. There's also a genetic link. But those are not justifications. They absolutely those are, are. Those are rationales. Those are explanations of what empathy is. And they're explanations of why you feel empathy. Mm -hmm. But it's not a justification of empathy. Okay, so what is the difference between what do you mean a justification for empathy then? You're you're now you're redefining the words in in order to make it seem like I haven't made a connection here and I did. I feel empathy for the starving person on the street because that's a human being and I'm a human being and I evolved in a social culture and structure. Yes. Other animals do the exact same thing with other animals and we can show it, demonstrate it, not just in our species, but in other ones. Right. So we can do it in a lab in a scientific way. We can also do it with people in a scientific way. It's a, it's a fantastic explanation for why we feel empathy. Okay. Let me try to connect what you're saying now to what I'm saying about the angels and demons, right? I can provide an explanation for why someone thinks that angels and demons are pulling rocks down to the ground. Sure. They've been, let's say, indoctrinated into Christianity. Well, people, somebody came up with that theory first, right? Well, let's just say they were indoctrinated into Christianity. No, let's if not say that. Gonna, let's say not? that. Let's say that, that. If you believe in angels and demons, you were indoctrinated into some kind of faith-based theology, right? Because we don't need... Well, we have to go back to the roots like you want to do with, with evolution and empathy, right? The reason... That go back the person, as far as you want. The, Pick the, any religion. The person... Let's say the first person who came up with the ideas of angels and demons. Okay. They, they didn't have any evidence for their theory. Where did it and, come from? And they still don't. They... Because the, you, you, in the same way that you're talking about empathy, I can say, well evolution created people to find patterns in things. Sure. They Would have you, an over uh, reliance on creating agentic force, right? So yeah, when agency. Mm -hmm. When they see something move, they want to assign agency to, to some Absolutely. living being that's moving the thing. Mm -hmm. So that's why they came up with the explanation of angels and demons. And do you see why that's fallacious? You're missing my point. I, I don't care if it's fallacious or not. Okay. It's the exact same... I, Maybe I that's just said, the big difference between I just your said, worldview and mine is I care if I'm fallacious. So you're, you're asking the question, is the conclusion that evolution led them to fallacious about angels and demons? Why won't you ask it about empathy? Okay, ask, ask your question again. What? Sorry? You said they came, so a person came to this conclusion mm -hmm. about angels and demons, mm -hmm. and we, you are willing to ask the question, is that conclusion true or not? Right? Evolution led them to mm, yeah. a pattern match that yeah. was fallacious. So Correct. why won't you ask the same question about empathy? How have I not asked it about... Uh, we can demonstrate empathy, though. You can't em demonstrate angels and demons. Demonstrate what about empathy? You can demonstrate that there's a chemical reaction in your brain that equates to empathy. When you see somebody, things uh -huh. happen in your brain but we that know equates that to empathy. We know that 
things that can happen in your brain can be fallacious. We just established that with angels and demons. Right. But we can, we can, we can demonstrate, so we can show people things that make them feel empathetic and the same parts of their brain light up every time. So we can, we can, none of that is still a justification, verify and falsify it. No, the justification is that we are a social creature that evolved in social situations to care for one another. And it was a beneficial. So the people that didn't have that caring and that empathy, and we haven't gotten rid of all of them yet, but they seem to be less than the people or fewer than the people that didn't. And the people that have that empathy, we can demonstrate empathy. You can't demonstrate angels and demons. You can demonstrate why people think angels and demons exist and how that's fallacious. But how do you demonstrate that empathy or the feeling of empathy is That's exactly what I'm asking you. That's the whole point I've been trying to bring up is that when we can pass empathy through the scientific circle, through the evidence and reason mental models that we use to generate true knowledge, then we will know whether empathy in any given instance is a good conclusion that evolution has led us to or a bad conclusion that evolution has led us to. That's what I'm, that's the point I'm trying to make. That's where we started here. We need to be able to verify. So here's an example, right? You seem to be misunderstanding the nature of empathy. It's not the same as an angel or a demon. It's an idea in our head, an angel or a demon, right? What caused that rock to fall? I think it must be angels and demons, right? Because I don't understand what gravity is, let's say. A feeling in my, in my, that's generated in my brain by the different chemicals that my brain's releasing due to of viewing something physical in the world, like somebody starving. That's not the same thing as an idea. I mean, it's not just like, hmm, I wonder what caused that. I think it's angels. No, you, you, you see suffering and because you evolved as a social creature, your brain releases a chemical that makes you feel empathetic. That's and you true. Can, you can demonstrate that. That's true. Okay. But I, the fact that you can demonstrate it, that you can explain where it comes from, is not a justification for it. You keep saying that. What do you mean? Because that doesn't make any sense. Well, it makes sense to me. It well, just doesn't make sense to you yet. Okay, right? but I just made sense of what you were saying, and you understood what I was saying, right? So explain to me why you're saying it's okay. not justification for it. So let's say that um, that it's hard to it's hard to bring this stuff up without getting into the entire morality discussion again. So I'm trying to think of what a uh, we're talking about empathy. So it's apropos. I mean, it wouldn't be a bad idea to bring in some morality because of the empathy thing. I do want to make sure we come back around to this worldview issue. I feel like whatever example I bring up, you're going to dispute the example. So let me just get to the base case, which is, do you think that you could feel empathy in an inappropriate way for someone? Like, could you feel empathy for someone who it is not evolutionarily advantageous for you to feel empathy for? Or it would even be immoral for you to feel empathy for that person? Um, I don't know how you'd establish that it would be immoral, but I do... That's what I'm asking you. I'm just asking you if if that could exist for you. I I don't know about the morality question because I don't know how you would establish that it's immoral. I don't understand. It would have to cause pain and suffering. So it... Sure. So let's say you feel empathy for someone and you let a, let a person go who is going to go kill 50 more people or something, right? You feel too much empathy for the wrong person. Like I have a prisoner that's killed people and then I feel empathy for that guy or girl or it's probably a guy, (laughs) right? It's a guy. So I feel empathy for that dude and I let him out into the world and then he kills more people. Sure. So what I'm saying is... So I understand the premise. Good. So now 
what we want to say is that we need to, we can't just act directly on empathy, right? Empathy in itself is not justified. We have to pass our empathy through some other things, some other way of understanding, I would say our worldview, in order to understand if that is information that we should act on. Okay. And I think in the scientific position, we want to say that we're going to pass our empathy through mental models, which use reason and evidence okay to determine if that empathy i'm saying connected to reality i understand why that's confusing but what i mean is like if we believe that empathy is giving us actionable sure useful real information that we want to act on sure or if it's giving us false information that we don't want to act on okay then we're passing this empathy some feeling that arises from outside the circle it's not a scientifically verified feeling but by then that's not true but go ahead for the sake of what your point is let's try to make i understand what your distinction is and i acknowledge that's not true what you just said i understand your distinction and i acknowledge that you're correct i'm saying that the, if the empathy is information, then the information which empathy is giving me about the outside world is not scientifically verified. I can verify that I'm having the feeling, but I can't verify with the emotion, the existence of the emotion itself, if it's aimed at, let's say, this prisoner who's going to go kill more people, mm-hmm. that the information I'm getting is correct in some way. Well, there's in no order- correct or incorrect empathy. You either feel it or you don't. What would be correct or incorrect is whether or not you disregard the fact that this person killed 50 people and is in jail and let him go anyway, or whether or not you just keep him in jail because you're like, eh, you know, I'd like to let you go. You seem like you did all right in jail, but I, I just, uh, you, you were just too bad when you were out we're just not letting you out i think that's the distinction that i don't know why you're not i'm not going to argue with you about whether the empathy is correct or incorrect i i I think we could have that discussion but i i would well you said incorrect or incorrect so i'm just following with what you said i don't think that i don't want to argue with you about it that's what i just said well i don't know why you brought it up then so what's the point i didn't bring up i don't i'm not bringing up anything to argue with you about it Right. I'm just trying to communicate with you. I'm not trying to argue in that sense. I'm just saying you're you're trying to so, make a point here, yes, and you're saying is, that we don't know if we can trust we, empathy. Right. And I think you're yeah. We, we, we keep don't, pointing right? out how you're using it in the wrong sense or context. Well, you're telling me how you want to use it. I'm telling you how I think about it, and you're saying, "Well, give it to me in my language so I can understand what you're saying." Why don't you give it to me in your language, and then we'll figure out if that's right or not? Because so far you've given it to me uh, in whatever language you've chosen, and you've had to back off of it twice. So what is it that it is? I'm saying that if you want to get any in the scientific world view or in the scientific mindset in order to get any actionable knowledge from that empathy, I want to pass it through my science evidence and reason in order to act on it, right? Sure, which would be in this case uh, a Assessing the previous history of the murderer and, and determining whether or not letting them go would be a wise choice. Sure. Okay. So that's what I mean by saying to take the contents from outside the scientific circle, outside scientific ways of thinking. You still it, haven't taken it outside of the scientific circle, though. You had to use science in order to determine whether that killer was, in fact, uh, somebody you should let go. You had to take the evidence and the science and the reason and the, everything else. So that I don't see that you've made your point. I'm sorry, but I'm saying that you had this feeling of empathy, and then you had to make that that feeling existed. It arose outside of any scientific ways of thinking, right? So if I acted directly on it, just it arose. Without, okay, it just happens, right? Like sure. you you see somebody, maybe he's a mass murderer, but he's suffering, and you feel empathy for him. Okay. 
Okay. So that that is not a scientific process, right? That feeling arising. Okay. It just happens. So then in order to... But we would use science to understand why it happens and how it happens in the brain. It's not scientific in the sense that we don't, like... I don't understand what you mean by it's not a scientific process, to be honest with you. But it's not a scientific... It happens, and science tells us why and how. Well, we don't actually care why it arose at the moment... I mean, we don't care about the evolutionary explanation at the moment that we're feeling it for the prisoner, right? It's not germane to that discussion. No, maybe not. You can not. have that discussion separately. Sure, maybe not. In your investigation of the human person, which is cool. But in that moment of making a decision about the prisoner, the empathy arises. If you act directly on that empathy, which many people do. I'm not sure. I'm, not, I'm talking about prisoners, but, you know, many people often act directly on empathy without validating it scientifically. or Without validating that the action they're about to take makes sense scientifically. Sure. Sure. Um, Then I'm suggesting that in a, in a truly scientific worldview, in order to act on, to understand what knowledge is useful from um, various forms of emotions and sensations and perceptions that arise, which are not scientific, like things that just arise, haven't gone through any scientific filtering process yet. Right. So in order to, verify that the ways that those things are prompting us to act in the world as an agent, we want to pass them through this scientific circle of validating what kind of knowledge we could usefully gain from them. Let me, okay, yeah. Let me let me expand on that a little bit and see if it helps clarify. Okay. Let's say that I'm on the parole board and I'm sitting in front of a mass murderer, okay? okay. And I'm trying to determine whether I should parole this mass murderer. Now, if I were to filter my empathy through the scientific you know filter as you're calling it i might say well you know your history shows that when you're in public and when you're allowed to do what you like to do you kill lots of people and therefore i don't care how empathetic i get with you i'm going to keep you in jail because i don't think letting you go is a good idea now let's say i uh, filter it through a religious worldview and i say uh, i've understood that since you've come to jail you have come to jesus also and that now you're very uh you know active in the prison church and you read the bible with all these people and you've helped them get all these degrees and theology and all this stuff so you've done a lot of quote-unquote good so I think you've turned over a new leaf and now you can go out into society because you're now religious and you've taken on the religious worldview. I'm going to disregard history and what I know to be true about how you act in public. And I'm just going to have faith that you're going to be a good person from now on. Is that parse out some of these problems? Well, I didn't bring up any of that religious stuff. So no, that's, I all, know. that's all for you. I did, but I'm saying if, if, if you're not going to pass it through a worldview that takes into account reason, evidence, history, um, and the actual physical world, and you're going to filter it through something else, let's say religiosity, don't you run the risk of having that problem that you're worried about with the scientific worldview? <clears throat> I mean, I assume that you brought it up because you have a problem that people might not do something correctly because they I mean I I still don't understand where you're going exactly but it seems like if you don't have if you're not if you're just feeling empathy and you just act on that you might make a mistake so we need to filter it through some kind of worldview now you're coming from the theologian side and I'm coming from the scientific side I say take the scientific worldview don't let the guy go I can I can 
understand a religious person saying, well, now you're on my team, so I can't see how you could do anything wrong. You're not going to do anything bad because Jesus is in your heart. Is that a reliable way to, to let somebody go? A scientific worldview would say, well, you're really going against all the evidence here. That's a bad decision. Yeah, I think that would be a really bad way to make that decision. Well, it would be a really bad way to, well, yeah, the religious way. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's your sort of interpretation of what a religious person would do in that context. I'm just saying it's a possibility. I just, I just, I'm, I'm not getting where you're, where you're drawing your conclusion here. Yeah, I can tell you, but you can keep making stuff up if you want, or I could just tell you what I had intended to say. Okay, well then go ahead. Because <laughs> okay. I thought you were going to get there and then we haven't gotten there. So let's well, we get there. We to talk about the analogy to make sure that you could... Um, so you're backing off the analogy now, so we don't have that. That's not part of it. Well, we stopped to talk about it so that you could understand it, so that I could go on to the next. What I was going you to you still use. haven't made sense of it, though. You're saying that we have to. Well, I think you agreed with me. Filter that... it through a worldview. No, you tried to make a distinction between. You tried to say that feeling empathy for a person is the same as thinking angels or demons are making a rock fall to the ground. That's not the same thing, and you backed off that. You conceded. So it's not the same thing. And you recognize that now that we had this discussion, right? It's not the same thing. No, I think I just spent a lot of time trying to get you to say that in the same way that we need to filter angels and demons through a a more rigorous process of understanding whether that's information which is useful to act on or not, we want to do the same thing with empathy. That was my my point of the circles. Let's go with that. That makes sense. Okay. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm just not sure why you started off the way you did, but we're there now, so let's go. All right. Uh, let's see. Okay. So I first want to point out how this analogy can help illustrate why science is not a worldview. The process of doing science, of pushing ideas through the scientific circle to find true knowledge, is completely dependent on the contents of con- on the contents of consciousness from outside the scientific circle. Science requires hypothesis generation and relevance realization in order to work, and neither of those are rational processes. Science relies on the outputs of these conscious processes without any idea of how they work. So. Again, that's. I'm just going to stop, and I didn't. I didn't write this down, but we took a little side detour there. So I'm going to try to contextualize why. What what the point of that is? The point is to say, a worldview wants to account for everything which exists in the world. Science knows that it's dependent on processes from outside of science in consciousness, which exist, and it doesn't have an account for them. Why do you say they're outside of science? Um, I say they're outside of that scientific circle in the sense of the mental models which allow us to verify, validate, and reproduce scientific knowledge. That's what I mean by they're outside of science. We rely on these processes of hypothesis generation and relevance realization in order to make scientific progress. And you think those are outside of the scientific worldview? Well... I'm trying to illustrate that I don't think that there is a scientific worldview, but we haven't quite gotten there yet. Um, they are outside of the scientific toolkit for sure. And I, I think that at least right now... I don't right know now, why you've said that for sure. Why do you think that consciousness is outside of the toolkit? We don't know what consciousness is. How do you know that it's outside of the scientific toolkit? Well, the toolkit exists in consciousness. So what? 
So you don't know what consciousness is. So how can you say anything about whether or not science uh, is a tool that can be used within it or without it or anything? If you don't know what something is, then how are you putting fact, any parameters on it? The fact that I don't know what it is means that it cannot, cannot be part of the scientific toolkit because the scientific toolkit is about verified knowledge. No, the scientific, scientific toolkit is about how to understand the world and what's in it and reality and verify it and measure it. We don't say anything's real until we verify it with science. We don't say that something exists until we verify it with science. Right. It's a methodology. That's right. Right. It's, it's a defined methodology, right? There's no parts of it that say, this is where you put things that I don't know what they are. It just means that science hasn't figured out what that is yet, if it exists at all. That's not my point. My point is that science is a defined method. It doesn't have any place in it that says, this is where we put things that we don't know what they are. The method of science doesn't require okay. a spot for things that... We don't so know what they are. It's just the consciousness isn't scientifically understood yet. Okay. That's what you're saying? And because okay. science is things that we understand, consciousness cannot well, Science be is part a methodology that makes sense of reality. It's not things that we understand. I mean, that's a weird way of saying it, but go ahead. Do you understand what I'm what I'm getting at in terms of saying consciousness? You're saying is we not don't understand consciousness. Toolkit? You're saying we don't understand consciousness. Do you understand why that's relevant to the discussion of worldview and toolkits? No, and I'm going to rebut that. But you want to deliver your punchline, so I want to give that to you. Okay. I want to give you that time. All right. Let's see. But I don't. Just to be clear, I don't agree with that. You don't agree that consciousness is not part of the scientific toolkit. I don't agree with what you're saying that that we have to ha understand consciousness to have a worldview. Okay. I don't I don't think that science as a toolkit and consciousness um, not under that it's a part of it. If we don't know what science or we don't know what consciousness is, we don't know what part of what toolkit it is or isn't. Mm. So I think you're overstepping a boundary there that you're you're making a claim well, that's. I'm, I'm saying that we have defined the scientific toolkit. We know exactly what it is because we made it. It's a set of processes that we operate by. There's no place that says here insert magic consciousness, right? It's no. a set of processes. But we don't understand consciousness yet according to the tools of science that we have. And those tools are effective. They work. Yeah, but we, so, don't, so we therefore, don't know how to understand consciousness yet. So therefore, we know that we don't need to know what consciousness is in order for those tools to work. Right. That's how we can see that consciousness cannot be part of the toolkit. It doesn't mean it can't be part of the toolkit. It means that we don't need that element for science to work. It still might be a part of that toolkit well, we just don't know yet i'm suggesting that because consciousness i mean i think you're looking at it exactly backwards i think that because consciousness created science created the scientific toolkit if consciousness exists we haven't identified that for sure but go ahead then we know that the toolkit exists as a subset of what consciousness is and not the other way around like, I don't see how consciousness could be part of a toolkit that exists in consciousness. That doesn't make sense to me. Well, you just said the toolkit is within part of consciousness, right? Yes. So here's consciousness and here's the toolkit. Yes. Right. Yes. And so it is within consciousness. So it is a part of consciousness. Yes. The toolkit is a part yes. of consciousness yes, exactly. and vice versa. I don't see... What consciousness is a part of the toolkit if the toolkit is within consciousness. It's all intertwined. You're putting them together and then separating them and not explaining why or how. Well, I don't know what you mean by consciousness as a part of the toolkit. Can you you just on said that? 
the tool, the scientific toolkit is within consciousness. So the toolkit is a part of consciousness. They're a part of each other. They are intermingled with each other. They're part of the same thing. I don't, I don't appreciate that analogy. Like I think it's not an analogy. It's a direct, it's a direct, it's not analogous. I'm not using a, a different example. I'm using that if as I said the example. There's, there's a computer program running on my phone. Mm-hmm. If I said the program is running on the phone and the phone is running on the program, that's, that's what I hear you saying. A part of the phone. The a phone part is not of, a part of the program, though. They're both program. a part of each other once the program is installed on the phone. They're both a part of each other. They become, they become intertwined. They become, you can't use the program without the phone, and you can't run the phone. Well, you can run parts of the phone without the program, but you can't do anything that the program does without the program. So they're intertwined now. As soon as you upload it onto the phone, they become one in the same in some sense. All right. Let's not get bogged down in this. Get okay. get to your punchline. Cuz we got a lot to cover. Well, by here. trying to muddy the waters of the analogy, I think you're 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 obfuscating your ability to see the point that I'm trying to make. To say that the program and the phone are one is like I don't know what that means. The phone can exist without the program, but the program can't exist without the phone. The program does exist without the phone. You have to upload it onto the phone. They're two independent things and when you put them together, they work together. The program isn't going to do anything without the phone. You have to upload it onto the phone. And the phone isn't going to do anything that the program can do without that program. That's true. Okay. But the That's phone all can I'm do saying. lots of other things. Sure it can. I'm not saying the scientific toolkit or consciousness can't do lots of other things. Mm, okay. But go ahead. Uh, so let's see. I'm a little punchy today, just so you know. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm going to use the idea of this scientific circle to illustrate a mistake that I believe those who champion a scientific worldview often make. They assume that because they understand how the scientific method works, sometimes rather broadly, therefore their own reasoning, opinions, or conclusions are scientific. Having convinced themselves of this, that their own reasoning, opinions, or conclusions are scientific, they are then free to slip unawares outside the scientific circle. They might slip nearby to the less empirical but still often rationally rigorous circle we call philosophy, where they can engage in semi-formal epistemology and ontology, or they might slip far outside that scientific circle to engage in non-rationally rigorous storytelling. Like theology? In both cases, <laughs> they often don't seem to notice that they have strayed from their own epistemological standards. One way you can easily see the effects of this is to notice that in spite of the fact that each scientifically minded person will insist that they are creating their worldview from science, evidence, and reason, they will all have drawn different conclusions, sometimes wildly different with regard to the nature of reality, morality, etc. If there is only a truth, and we can arrive at that truth through scientific evidence and reason, how could this happen? Why is this a problem? Like, why is it a problem that that people are slipping in and out of these circles when, if you really are trying to have a scientific mindset, eventually we're all moving toward the truth together, right? I think it's a problem because it's self-deceptive. Um, that self-deception puts you into a mindset where you can't even perceive all the ways that you think and act unscientifically. You appoint yourself an arbiter of what makes sense and declare yourself a representative of the scientific worldview, all the while thinking and acting in the very same emotion and value-driven ways that you would criticize people who don't venerate science for using. Again, I'm not using this move to take a shot at science. I'm not implying that scientific skepticism ultimately undermines the possibility of any knowledge of reality. What I am doing is trying to use this move to 
contextualize science as a limited toolkit to help us acknowledge that we always venture outside that, cir that circle of scientific ways of producing knowledge, and to help us acknowledge that we must do so in order to have a worldview that includes ourselves and experiences as they are, and that in moving outside that circle, we, implicit igno we implicitly acknowledge that science is not sufficient to describe all of reality. If it were, we could create a scientific worldview. That is, we could use only scientific thinking and scientific data to be in the world, but we can't. Having acknowledged that, we can begin to think about what we might want from a worldview that the scientific toolkit does not provide. I'm going to give you one more application of the scientific circles. Um, this is important to understand how I, how I try to make my critique of a scientific worldview. I assume that the scientifically minded, like yourself, are not going to be swayed rationally by an argument that originates from outside that scientific circle, since it all looks like nonsense to you. That's why I try to come into that circle to put on the rationalist toolkit in order to have discussions like this. It's easy for me to do so. I just temporarily adopt a set of axioms and then at least I believe, that I can see the world in the way that you claim to see it. I'm trying to show that we can use reason, but not science, to see that we require more than rational thought processes, even to do science. Okay. So that was the punchline. I think that's as far as we're going to get today. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I wanted to uh, touch on this. So um, we don't have an explanation for consciousness as of now, um, at least not one that's... Uh, overly scientific or one that we can base in science and actually falsify and, and, and all that, right? So we don't even really know for sure that consciousness exists, even though I think there are some scientists that claim it does. But we have an idea of what we think consciousness is. Um, you're saying that we cannot investigate the inter interiority of experience, and so science cannot be a valid worldview. That was one of your conclusions. Yes, but I, I want to make sure that you hear what I'm saying in the way that I'm saying it. So w what I'm... Do you, well, do you agree that science doesn't have access to the inter interiority of our experience? That would be an important first step. No, I don't. Okay. I think we have, all, we have plenty of science. We have psychology. We have neuroscience. We have physiology. We have whole fields of science that deal with the interiority of... We have... Uh, chemistry in the brain we have all kinds of tools and, and techniques for understanding the interiority of the brain we also have uh an interiority of experience as you put it mm. um you're talking about an experience that somebody feels inside their head right so you're talking about let's say pain mm. um we we can understand pain to a scientific level we can reproduce it uh, we can verify it falsify it and we can make predictions we can make good predictions and you agreed to this in the last podcast that we can make predictions about an interior experience um so i think it's completely scientifically av available to the sciences <clears throat> so there is science that could take the brain chemistry that's happening in your brain right now and the measurements from skin capacitance and whatever other uh, every measurement that you want to allow science mm -hmm. and with that information could reconstruct the conscious experiences that you're having right now what do you mean reconstruct you mean outside of my brain 
I don't know what I mean because you're the one making this claim, but you're saying that science has access to all of our interior experience. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to understand what you it, mean by that. It has, it has access to the interiority of our experience. Just like I, I, here's one of the problems we had with the last thing. I would explain myself clearly and then you would go, I don't get it. And you would say, I don't understand what you mean by that. And you would say, well, you haven't accounted for this. And I just would, I had just literally gotten done explaining why I account for it. it in the last case, there was a moral issue that I was accounting for. This, this isn't as, I think you're trying to add a layer of complexity here that doesn't exist or something's happening when you hear what I'm saying. And either, either I haven't put God in there or whatever it is that you think needs to be there, or you're just, you just will not accept it due to some other dogma that you have to cling on to. So let's, let's try to slough that off. Let's try to get to the bottom of that because well, science point. absolutely can, can uh, investigate the interiority of experience. That okay. is what psychology is. Mm. Do you do you not do you not recognize psychology as a science of the interiority of our human experience? Yes, I do recognize that. Then why don't you say science can access the interior? Well, because why do you it's, not acknowledge it's a well-known it? problem within science that science can't access the interiority of experience. Um, That's not true. I just it's called psychology. Yeah, but why that, do you not that doesn't have that? access to the interiority of our experience? What do you mean? It asks people about the kind of experiences that they're having. What other access do you need? Direct access. That is direct access. Do you have to ask a proton what its velocity is? That's you a nonsensical to, question. There's no ask, way to ask a proton. It doesn't have a consciousness, if we're going to call it a consciousness. Hmm. It doesn't have a way to answer that question. If that's the kind of proof you need, you're asking, you're setting up an impossible standard. If you're saying, in order for me to believe that science can access the interiority of our experience, then a proton needs to answer a question about its velocity. That is not something that can happen, and you know that. But so you're setting up a, a false... No, it's not even possible. That's the point that I'm trying to make, is that you don't need to ask a proton what its velocity is. You just measure it. But when you're talking about the interiority of somebody's experience, you do have to ask them. Why can't you just measure it directly? Because we don't have the understanding to that level, but you can measure a lot of the mm -hmm. things directly. So you're saying that there are elements of conscious experience that we don't have the ability to measure directly? Exactly. And That's what I'm saying. You don't have access to the interiority of experience. That doesn't mean we don't have access at all. It means it's, it's like saying we don't have any understanding of the Big Bang because we don't know what happened right before it. We have a huge understanding of the Big Bang, but we don't know what happened right before it, if anything happened right before it. To say that we don't have, uh, we're not able to investigate the interiority of experience is false. We are able to investigate it. We are not able to investigate it down to every single minute detail. Mm. But that doesn't mean that we can't investigate it. That doesn't mean we can't make claims about it. That doesn't mean we can't falsify those claims and test them. So do you okay. do you agree? Okay, so you said we do not have uh, a, a, the ability to investigate the interiority of, of experience. Do you agree that we can ask people things about what's happening inside their brain, of their course. feelings? Yeah. So is that a, a one way to investigate the interiority of experience? It's a way to access certain kinds of experiences. Uh, is it interiority of experience? It's the self-report of the interiority of experience. Okay. So, yes. Just say yes. That's the answer, right? 
It's sure, one yes. of the tools so, we have to investigate okay. the interiority sure. of the experience. Okay. We also are able to, to, to measure the chemical reactions and stuff in the brain, mm-hmm. right? Do you agree to that? Yes. Okay. So that is part of the interiority of our experience. We can... No, no. Not at all. Absolutely. We can shoot a, a chemical into our brain and have an experience. But, I can get a, a dose of dopamine and feel, you, feel euphoria. Euphoria is an interior experience. Yes. But the dopamine is not the experience. No. It's the drug that triggers the experience in the brain. That's right. Right. There is no difference between those two things. You just said two different things. No, you, you, you misunderstand the way the brain works. Here's where we ran into problems before. You, you keep demonstrating in, the, in your responses and in your explanations that you don't understand science, at least not to a basic level. We'll, we'll go over some of the problems in the last one if you want to, or we could do a different podcast where we go over it like point by point. But if there were no dopamine and... This is simplistic, I agree. So I'm just going to say dopamine is one element of your euphoric experience. It's not all of it, right? It's not the only sure. chemical that sure. causes it. But if there were no dopamine, you would not get the experience of euphoria as it pertains to dopamine. Mm. So you take all the dopamine out of a brain and never put it in, and you're never going to feel the dopamine euphoria. Okay. If you put dopamine into the brain, you will feel the dopamine euphoria. Okay. The chemical is the feeling. Well, you just said two different things. You said that the chemical and the feeling are related, and then you said that the chemical is the feeling. Well, they're, they're related in, in the same I mean, they're related in such a way that they cannot be parsed out. I mean... Then why are they parsed out? Where are they parsed out? Well, when are they parsed out? In your experience, do you ever have an experience of dopamine? Yes. Well, then why would you call it euphoria? Why wouldn't you call it an experience of dopamine? Because the dopamine causes the euphoria. We have a feeling, a said, sensation in our brain. You just said it differently brain. again. You well, just said on. that dopamine causes f- euphoria. It's a describer of what happens when you shoot dopamine into your brain. You feel euphoria. Okay. So you've just said two different things again. You uh, if you want to call them two different things, if you do not ever put dopamine into your brain, you will never feel that euphoria. So the It's scientific- dependent on the dopamine. Okay. But the scientific distinction here is that... Um, there's no causal mechanism. You're just asserting that there is a causal mechanism, but you haven't demonstrated it. What are you other than about? by saying that, like, let's okay, let's say I'm this. not going to be able to demonstrate dopamine euphoria to you unless you want to take some drugs. I mean, I can't demonstrate that to you. You can read about how you cause euphoria in the human mind, and the science will tell you you inject it with dopamine. But the euphoria as an experience is its own entity like if it were just dopamine you would say well do you agree that without the dopamine you won't feel the euphoria yes then how are they two different things well you're 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 describing them in two different ways you're saying that this is a conscious experience euphoria and this is a chemical dopamine but you haven't established that they are the same thing if they were the same thing we would refer to them by the same name the dopamine the chemical is called dopamine what it does in your body is create euphoria. It creates euphoria. But you're saying is euphoria. You're saying dopamine is euphoria. You're saying dopamine causes euphoria. You're saying dopamine creates euphoria. Those are all, I mean, the first one and the latter two. Yeah, you really are, aren't this, this, this really isn't that above your head. You, you understand what I'm saying. If I hit my no, thumb with a hammer, it causes pain. That's right. Right. But... The hitting your thumb with the hammer is not the pain. The pain you is a conscious. You won't feel it without that. The pain is a conscious experience. So what? 
So what? What is this point? I'm trying to understand why is this a, an issue? Why are you generating, you're creating a disconnect where there is none? If I hit my thumb with a hammer, it causes pain. If I shoot up with dopamine, I get euphoria. This well, is cause and effect. This is not me that's creating this distinction. This is a well-known in this conversation, philosophical, is. philosophical issue. This, and there's no this is scientist. why philosophy is lame. <laughs> this is why they, they create this issue where there is none. It's, ca- it's about cause and effect. You can draw a direct link, and every time I hit you with dopamine, you'll feel euphoria, 100%. And if I give you no dopamine ever and extract it from your brain, you will not ever feel euphoria. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's all you need to know. Adding another layer... Is th- that's the problem I have with philosophy. I don't they have to don't add a layer. Occam's razor. I don't have to add a layer. I experience the euphoria. Like if I were outside of me looking at someone else... And saying, and and they're telling me that they're, you know, if you inject them with, like, uh, with water, then they're having some transcendent experience. I can go, eh, I don't know. It seems like you're adding something, right? Like I'm measuring you. It doesn't seem like anything's going on there. But if I am the person, the dopamine gets injected into me. I have the experience of euphoria. Like I know that the euphoria exists, right? I don't have to add the layer. I'm experiencing it directly. It, euphoria doesn't exist outside of the mind, though. It doesn't but dopamine e- exists outside of the mind. It, it may. I mean, we have synthetic dopamines, and we can extract it, I believe. Well, I mean, I'm like, it sure. has to be outside of my mind before you inject it into my body, right? It's there in a syringe. Well, I'm using that as an example, but yeah, in that, in that example, yes. So the dopamine in the syringe is not euphoria. The dopamine in my body triggers an experience of euphoria in me so but it's because of its interaction with your brain that's right right so why is this matter why is this a point that is one of the ways we investigate the interiority of experience we are able to falsify verify demonstrate euphoria which is an interior experience by, by trying to cloud this over as something magical or whatever you're trying to do, you're not accepting the fact that we can, exp- we do have a, a way to investigate the interiority of experience. Yes. So that initial complaint that you have, now we have two examples of how that's false. And you agree with those examples. You're adding this weird layer for some reason, but you're not justifying it. You're not making sense of it. We still have this, the problem of if I inject you with dopamine, you'll feel euphoric. Mm-hmm. And why can't we decouple that if they're separate? I honestly don't know how to answer this question. That's because there isn't one. We can't. It's because they are decoupled. They're not. They decoupled. are separate. They're not separate. You won't get euphoria with just dopamine because there's no brain for it to interact with, and you don't get it without you. You won't feel it in your brain without dopamine. Mm-hmm. So they're not decoupled. They're one and the same. But you're saying that the dopamine in my brain is the euphoria. And I I just don't know. Like, I don't know how to continue talking about this if you can't acknowledge that the experience of euphoria and the chemical dopamine are not the same thing. Like, I don't, I don't know how to continue with the conversation. They're not, it, it, it's how you do that is you do, you think this way, you think scientifically. Okay. You, you recognize that you will not experience euphoria without the dopamine and the dopamine absent of a brain doesn't do anything. They must be coupled together in order to have euphoria. Okay. That's it. 
and euphoria is an interiority of experience and we can investigate it we can we can modify it so here's here's a great example of it i can put an electrode on a very specific part of your brain and light it up with electricity and you will think that god is in the room with you you'll think that there's a, a being with you in the room and you will think it's god and that happens like 100% of the time. I mean, they do this all the time in the laboratory. Okay. That is a way to investigate the interior interiority of experience. We now understand why people feel that way because that part of their brain is being activated by something they're doing or saying or meditating or praying or whatever it is they're doing. But we don't need the prayer or whatever. It's part of our brain. That experience, that interiority of experience that we talk about is a, a reaction in our brain to stimulus. Okay. Does it, that make sense? Well, what is what is your point? The point is, is we have, we are able, you said we cannot investigate the interiority of experience, and we can. Okay. And we do. All right. And that's why we have psychology and so on and so on. All right. So, I mean, I honestly don't know how to, to move forward from here, but we might have to hammer on this for a while and if we can't make progress with it then I don't know which direction we're going to take the conversation but well, we've already hammered on it a little bit yeah. so let's let's just modify so our let's tinkering say, let's say that you are let's say you're an alien anthropologist right okay so you have some other set of emotional experiences besides ours okay you have a human and you have some dopamine mm-hmm. you inject the human with the dopamine you have him hooked up to um, all kinds of electrodes and so forth, right? Sure. Maybe let's say FMRI that you have or something. Let's say that you have a very advanced science, and you you understand the relationships between all of everything in the human body, right? Okay, like every yeah. synapse. Sure, and and also an understanding of how those networks all work and what what all those yeah. connections mean. Yeah, okay? you get so you all have, down to have, the layer that we really want for psychology yes, you have, and you have Laplace's demon for physiology and all that. Yes, so you inject the uh, the dopamine into the human, mm-hmm. you record all of the data that happens in the human, and you have all of the scientific knowledge that it's possible to gather about the effects of dopamine on the human. Okay. Do you also have the knowledge, does that alien have the knowledge of what euphoria feels like to the human? Well, no. That There is a barrier between what my euphoria feels like and what your your euphoria feels like because we are separate people. We're not the same person. But let's say that the alien didn't have the possibility of feeling euphoria before. He, no one in his race had ever felt euphoria for okay. whatever reason. Okay. Will that alien be able to have the knowledge of what the euphoria feels like to the human? If the human explains what it feels like, sure. That's why we just ask people. That's part of how we investigate the interiority of experience. We ask them, well, how do you feel? That's why I don't understand why this is difficult for you to make these connections because it seems really straightforward to me that if you tell me that you're angry about something, Mm -hmm. I know what you mean because I've been angry at things. Okay. But if you tell me what it's like to have euphoria and I've never had euphoria, how am I going to be able to relate to your experience? How am okay. I going to know what it feels like to have that feeling? Well, it's a good thing you're not an alien from another planet. That's true. And it's a good thing you can feel euphoria 
That's true. And it's a good thing that when I ask you, what does it feel like to be in pain, you can describe it to me in ways that I can understand. My so point, we don't have that problem. My point is that the experience of euphoria is separate from all well, the data of the experience. I don't think it's separate. It's unique. Let's call it what it is. It's unique. Okay. You're going to feel something that might not feel exactly how I describe it, even if the same chemical process is going on in my brain. Your description of it might be slightly different. Even if it's the exact same dopamine amount, even if it's the exact, you know, it, it affects the same parts of the brain and everything else. I mean, it's unique. I'm not saying people aren't unique. I'm not saying well, in our example that we talked about before, some people might like to get whipped because they have that kink or something, right? And other people, that it's just pain for them. It's just torture, right? People are unique, but that doesn't mean that we can't investigate the interiority of their experience. But you're getting away from my question, which is if the knowledge of all the state of the human doesn't carry with it the knowledge of what it's like to have the experience of euphoria, then there's an element of the experience, or there's an element of, I don't even know what words to use at this point, like something that exists. Like if my experience of euphoria exists. Sure. In your head. Yeah. Then there's, there's a an element of that which is not present in the data about the experience. Sure. If you don't take in, but all you have to do is ask the person, then it becomes present in the data. You ask them, what is your experience? My description of the experience is not the experience itself. It is to your description. It is to the interiority of your experience. It is your subjective experience, account of that experience. It's an account of that experience. Yeah. But it's not the experience itself. No, the experience itself is the chemical stuff going on in your brain that the alien knows down to every last detail. The experience itself is that, but the, 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 your, you know, explanation of what it feels like is going to be unique to you, at least in some sense. I want to, I want to, I want to hammer this down. So we have the the thing that's going on in the brain, mm -hmm. the, the chemical reactions, mm -hmm. the experiences of all the networks, the alien has access to all this. Yes. Then over here, I am describing my experience to someone else. You could describe it and, to the alien if you want, sure, but sure. we don't have the problem that you're giving the alien. Sure. Okay. We don't have that problem. So I don't know why it's included in this example, but... In the middle is me actually experiencing the thing. Sure. I have to experience it before I can describe it. Sure. So that experience is not present in the data it is because it's it's put you the only reason you're feeling it is because they put dopamine in you and then they they looked at your brain and see what this is what it does and we got all this data and then there you are experiencing it and then somebody should if they're trying to be scientific they should ask you what does it feel like so if the experience is completely contained in the data i didn't say it was completely contained in the data okay when did i say that I said, if you want to understand the experience, you have to ask the person and find out what their unique take on it is. So where is the gap? Where is... There is no gap. Why That's why I'm to, telling you this. Where is the gap where I have to ask this person what their experience of the data was like? Why can't I just measure their experience of the data directly? Because you don't... You're, in your example, you're an alien that doesn't have that experience. But let's go so back to the humans. you have to figure humans. out what it is. Let's go I back mean, to the humans. It's a, it's a, in, my, in my estimation, it's a bad example because we don't have that problem. You've given the alien now a problem that we don't even have to Okay, confront. so forget about the alien. Let's go okay. back to the humans. Sure. Why do I have to ask people about what their experience of the data is? Because Why can't I just measure their experience of For one, of the data? we have to verify that they're experiencing euphoria. But... 
there's two ways to go about it, right? If we wanted to, if we wanted to falsify whether or not they were feeling euphoria, what we might do is hook people's brains up to things, not inject them with anything, and wait till they feel euphoria, and then measure that. When they tell you that they're feeling euphoria, yeah, because you wouldn't know if they weren't telling you. Well, you could see it in their brain, but you see. So you got somebody hooked up to a machine, and they report, "Oh, I'm feeling euphoria right now." Oh, this is great. Oh, my God, this is amazing, right? I love it. And there you are examining their brain, seeing the different parts of their brain light up. So this is the brain signature of euphoria. Now, if you want to test it, we inject dopamine into the brain because that's what we saw the brain do on its own, right? When the person said, I feel euphoric right now, they just got a huge dose of dopamine from their own brain. Their own brain did it, right? Okay. And it lit up these different parts. So that's what the brain signature of euphoria is. Now we want to test that. We we inject dopamine into their brain and all the same parts light up and they say, oh, yeah, I feel euphoric again. I mean, this is the scientific method. This is this is how we connect things together. Mm-hmm. But you re- you always have to rely on the person to self-report their experience of euphoria to you, so that you can know what that brain profile looks like. If the so euphoria what? was present in the data, you could just measure their brain activity and somehow calculate. Well, that's an expression of euphoria. That's an expression of depression. That's an yeah. expression of God. So what? So you can't do any of that without the person self-reporting their interiority to you. You have. To get yeah, them to so s- what? So you don't have access. I do have access because I can ask them. That yeah. was part of the access. You agreed that you that's s- a way to get to the interiority right. of experience. It's the only way that we have. It's not the only way. I've, I've already, you've already agreed to two other ways that we have. We could hook their brains up to fMRI right, scanners. You're, you're saying now that you understand that that doesn't work until we couple it with self-reports. Why because, wouldn't we? Because otherwise... Why wouldn't we couple it with self-reports? We would. Okay. Well, then what's the problem? The problem is that <laughs> if you could access the emotions directly, you wouldn't need to ask them. You would just look at them and know what the emotions were. Okay. So what? We, we don't do that, though. Right. Right. Because that would be bad science. Because if we work. just that's why you don't do it. If we just give them no, it could still work. It would just take a lot more. I'm I'm not. I don't know what the double blind test would be to figure out if it worked. It could still work. For instance, we could have a map of a brain of fifty people saying this is what it's like when I feel euphoric, mm. right? And we have that map, and then we inject other brains with chemicals until we get that exact same map. And then we could just assume that they felt euphoria. Maybe there are a whole bunch of other physiological elements to euphoria that we're not even talking about because we don't know right now in this discussion, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe there's a heartbeat increase. There's a sweat gland expulsion. There's, I don't know what, an erection. I don't know what. There's something happening where this person has other identifying factors that they're feeling euphoric. I mean... But you started with 50 people who told you what their euphoria looked like in their brain. So what? So why don't you start with nothing and prove to me... Why would I do that when I don't have to? I can use the scientific method, I can investigate the interiority of experience, and I can build from there. You keep switching back and forth between this is one of the ways to access the interiority of experience, Mm -hmm. and as if, well, it sounds to me like when you say it's one of the ways that you mean we could go to other ways, but then when I say, well, 
why don't you? You say, well, why would I? I have this other one. I have this self-report. No, you misunderstand. What I'm saying is, is that we, you're saying we don't have an explanation for consciousness and that we can investigate the interiority of, of experience. And I'm saying we can. And we don't just do it in one way. We do it in many ways. Mm. And we can couple them together or we can decouple them and we'll have varying uh, you know, certainty will have varying probabilities of being certain that that's what that person's feeling. Mm. But your point that we don't have a way to um, investigate the interiority scientifically of experience is false. And we've already talked about why, and we've had three examples, and you agreed to all three, and now you're objecting that we we can't interchange them all without using the others, and there's no reason why that should be a defeater. Just because we can't use one without the other, and I don't even know if we can or can't. I don't know how far science has gone into this, but I do know that we can investigate the interiority of experience. And I know we can do it with machines, fMRI. We can do it with, through psychology, through talking to people and asking people. And we can do it through other types of experiments where we inject people with things and reliably get them to feel certain ways, or we stimulate their brains externally and reliably get them to say, oh, wow, I had, there's a sensation of God in the room or a person in the room or, you know what I mean? I'm floating above my body. That's another one that we get a lot is when you, when you stimulate the brain in a certain way, you feel like you leave your body and float around the room. That is an ex interiority experience that we can investigate. And we have investigated that. I don't understand understand why you like if I say that science works best when it measures the thing directly and those are all direct measurements we establish asking someone what their interior experience is like is is not a direct measurement it's asking the person what their experience is like. I, that's why I don't understand why we're why we can't get on the same page with this. Why don't you? Why do you not accept that as a measurement of the interiority of their experience? If if you're asking, I do accept it as a measurement, but it's not a direct measurement. How is it not direct? It's an indirect measurement. You're asking this person what their experience is like. They have so to translate become, the experience okay, so becomes, into language or into numbers or something and bring it out for you. So what? But that's obviously not the same thing as the experience. It's not the same thing as the experience. It's a linguistic or numeric representation of an experience. Okay. Well, the experience. Do you understand that if, if you say to me, actually happening in their brain, and if let's say we hook them up to an fMRI machine mm -hmm. and then ask them questions, is that sufficient? Now we have a look into their brain. We can see exactly the experience they're having chemically and everything else in their brain. Mm -hmm. And they can describe it to us. Mm -hmm. But neither of those are a measurement of euphoria. They are if you assume that the, no. the arrangement... Now is you're just saying that. That's, that is absolutely a measurement of euphoria. If you're going to ask somebody, do you feel euphoric? And you're going to hook them up to an fMRI to verify that the correct parts of their brain light up. And let's say we shoot dopamine into their head, which we know causes euphoria. That is, that is as good as it's going to get. I don't know yes, why that's you don't right. like that. It is as good as it's going to get. That's my point. It's a measurement of a configuration of chemicals in their brain. It's not a measurement of the experience of euphoria. So you don't see this as setting up a standard that science must meet that is impossible to meet. You're, set, you're now set a standard like you did before that science cannot meet. In, in what it's ways like is it impossible to meet? It's like asking a proton to tell you about how fast it's going when protons don't speak. But I don't need to ask a proton. I can just measure how fast it's going. Right, but that's the standard you set up. 
That's exactly right. For people. That's exactly right. That's my whole point, Paul. That's exactly okay. what I've well, been trying if, to build this whole time is if, that science. If that's your point, then I don't think it's very strong. It, you, if, you, if you don't accept, you, okay, so you're not accepting the fMRI scan. You're not accepting the test of dopamine. You're not accepting the person's account of euphoria. No, now I you've said I'm accepting all of that. Out I already of said I'm accepting all of that. That is an, ex- an, an a way to investigate the interiority That's right. of experience. That's right. Okay, so we but agree. it's not a direct measurement of the interiority of experience. Okay, what is a direct measurement of the interiority of experience then? If it's not an fMRI, if it's not a um, certain amount of milliliters of dopamine, and it's not somebody telling you they feel euphoria. Well. It's not my job. Like, I'm not the one representing science in this conversation. No, but conversation. you're the one either rejecting or accepting science. So what is your standard? Well, if you could measure euphoria, then... You're saying these are not measurements of euphoria. I'm saying they are calculations based on brain scans, based on or coupled with self-reports of experience. These are not measurements. They're useful. They people are doing interesting things with them, but you know we're measuring the amount of dopamine, we're measuring amount of yeah. electricity. Yeah, in the it's brain, all very useful. And they can even say, "I feel euphoria up to level ten." Sure. Another measurement. You're saying that's not a measurement. It's not a direct measurement. Okay. Well, we'll just have to agree to disagree okay. because I'm I'm saying that you're setting up a, a an impossible standard, and it, it, at this point, it sounds to me like you're just doing it now just to do it. I'm not sure why. No, this is where I started from. It's taken like, what, four hours of conversation to get to this point. For you to... I don't understand exactly why. I mean, if you understood that my point was that there's a gap there, then we could have gone directly here at the beginning of the conversation. You well, must understand I'm, this is a gap that... I'm saying there's no gap. You're, you're saying that there's no gap, but... Inserting a gap that doesn't exist well, it's because not just your me. standard This is, is a known problem. Because your standard is it's impossible to meet. You're saying these measurements that we have are not measurements. You're denying the facts of the of the case. No, I, I keep saying that they are measurements. I'm saying they're indirect measurements. I'm saying... What if, would be an example of a direct measurement? If I, I could measure exactly what you're experiencing right now, I could measure, I could like somehow hook you up. And when I had recorded the measurements, I would know Paul was feeling euphoria at level 0.5, anger at level 4, irritation at the, like, but not just that, that... Just to be clear, I'm feeling zero irritation and mostly euphoria right now. Excellent. Yeah. Um, 0.8. Let's see. That you would just be able to measure those things directly, that euphoria as we experience it is a direct experience. I'm not having an experience of dopamine. If it weren't for science, we would never know about dopamine, but I would still be having euphoric experiences, right? No, Something science about allows the ex- us to measure the euphoria. That's the point. Which is excellent. but it's, Which you're rejecting. It's- I'm You're not, saying it's not a direct measurement. That's right. Yeah. I am saying that. And that's, I, I, I think I've demonstrated that that's false. Well, there's no... You're ask, not going to feel let, anything without dopamine. Let me ask you this question. So it is a direct measurement. Is there any other field of science other than the psychological, that, that to deal with the human, where we rely on this self-report of subjects in order to get data about the universe? So taking out all of biology. What... Is what, that what you're saying? What do we, where in biology do we ask for a self-report? In the human stuff. But outside of the human. 
we do you ever ask a monkey or a bird yeah, for I mean, self-report there there are there are ways that scientists test monkeys and birds and stuff to find out if they're happy or sad but are they asking them questions they're using more like behavioral methods, here's another right? here's another example of you setting a, an impossible standards monkeys and birds don't understand questions they don't understand english they're never going to and well, that's not no, <laughs> we don't we don't ask them questions because that's nonsense. Why would we ask a monkey, "Hey, monkey, do you feel good?" No, but we have ways of measuring whether or not it's feeling euphoria, happiness, sadness. Whether it feels like what's just happened is justice or injustice. Whether it has a sense of morality. Mm. This is this is the problem that you keep running into is that you want a standard that doesn't exist yet. Now, that doesn't mean that we won't be able to get there with science or one that's nonsensical, like, well, a proton can't tell me this. No. Again, you're always taking the things that I bring up and acting as if I brought them up for ridiculous reasons. But no, no, you're no. making fun of the proton for the reason that I brought it up, which is I don't need to ask a proton anything. But you do need to ask I people. I can measure. Yes, that's exactly. That's the thing you don't understand. No, it's, it's, you I understand. You do need to understand them. And when you do ask them. When you ask a person what they're experiencing, that is a direct experience. You are getting as direct of an experience as you're going you to get. You just said two different things. You said it is a direct experience, and then you said it's as direct of an experience as you're going to get. Those are two different statements. Okay. But it's a, they say the same thing, essentially. I'm, I'm yes. still trying to get you to explain to me why is that as direct uh, a measurement as I'm going to get. Why can't I get a more direct? Why can't I get directly to their conscious experiences? We don't even know what consciousness is yet because That's, science hasn't gotten us there yet. That's okay. like asking, how come we don't know what happened before the Big Bang yet? I don't think it's like that, but it's your analogy, so feel free to go with it. I mean, consciousness is here. It's a gap. The reason we don't know what happened right? before the Big Bang is because... It's a gap. We exist after the Big Bang. But consciousness is right here, right now, Science has all the access to consciousness that it could want in terms of being able to do experiments with it and so forth. So why can't we measure well, it right exactly. now? We, we don't have all the access that we could want. We, we, have, we could get a lot more access. Okay. Yeah. This is <laughs> not a I'm defeater saying. for That's my point. That's what I'm point. saying. You're saying, though, this is why it's impossible. It currently is impossible to ask for what you want in order for you to be satisfied that we have a direct experience. That's right. As close as what your standard is, is what we do have. And we do have ways to investigate the interiority of experience. Mm. It's just not to your impossible standard. To the level that I have access to my own experiences, right? I have access well, to my own that's experiences. that's interesting because you brought that up in the last podcast, and I want to touch base on that really quick. Okay. And then we'll get back to, we'll get on to worldview. Okay. Um, you said when I talked about um, free will and consciousness, you said, yes, but science is telling us about free will and consciousness, something that contradicts my experience, my experience of the world. I experience free will and consciousness. Science has now at the very least put free will into suspicious territory we don't know for sure if we have it i think according to what we understand about science and and the brain and the tests that we've done and it's been falsified and verified and it's been it's gone through the peer review process it's 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 now impossible to say that your brain knows what you're going to do before you i'm sorry it's impossible to say that you make a conscious decision 
your brain decides before you become aware of that decision. And in some cases, up to like five seconds before. And I'm being lenient. I'm being nice. It, it's, it can be much more than that. So what that says about free will and so on and so on, right? But you said that contradicts my actual experience, right? Yes. I experience free will decisions and so on and so on. Yep. That exact same argument is the flat earth argument. My experience is that of a flat earth. If science wants to say it's a ball floating around in the sky or whatever they say, right? I'm not going to accept that because my experience is that it's flat. Hmm. That is an invalid argument. That is the wonder and awe of science that it can teach us things that are so counterintuitive and so against what we experience every day to be true. It can show us that those things actually are true and that we can get there. So that that's one of the things I wanted to touch on. Okay. Um, I don't know if we need to go into it any further or if you have a response to that, but just because you don't have that as your experience doesn't mean it's not true. Mm. And if you've learned anything from science, it's that that's not true. We experience a flat earth, but it is not flat. You would agree to that, right? Yes. Okay, good. I think the difference between those two examples you just made are that... My free will is part of my interiority, and the flat earth is part of this external world that I'm experiencing. Well, if it all happens in consciousness, then it's all interiority, to get back to your point. But the idea is is that there is no distinction here, and science does give us information that does seem counterintuitive. Mm. And to use that as an example is to miss the point, and it's... it's uh, no, it's, I think it's directly to the point. It's because not just, a good example. Because the reason that we know the earth is not flat is because we can measure the earth. We don't have to ask the earth any questions. Right. And that's the line that I'm trying to, to distinguish between where science doesn't have direct access to the interiority of experience because for, for whatever reason, I'll just say it doesn't seem to have access to the interiority of experience. But in it the same does way that we in can three ways that you agreed to. Can we, I mean, can we establish that we understand You reject why? those as being direct. Yes, I do. Okay. And, and for no reason though. You're well, not for, able to describe why. You're just reasons, saying because. For the reasons that I highlighted. So the other thing about those free will studies that you're bringing up is that I, I sent you the link after our last discussion to an Atlantic article which discusses uh, the scientists who have shown that that free will study like didn't replicate. And in mm, fact... No, it's been replicated multiple times now by multiple scientists. And in fact... What didn't replicate was the exact amount of milliseconds before. Mm, I'll have to look into that some more. But my understanding was that the current state of that science, and in fact, most of the fMRI science, is that um, it's built on faulty methodology, too few subjects, and poor um, analytical techniques. And that the consensus of the scientific community now is that we jumped on the fMRI bandwagon too fast, which is not to say that we're not going to get useful results out of fMRI, but that a lot of these conclusions that were reached very quickly in the field are, are now being overturned and replicated with better methodology and better science. Maybe, but as far as I know, the science has been demonstrated, falsified, verified, and peer-reviewed. Okay. As far as that your brain makes up a decision in your mind before you become consciously aware of it. I don't know what that other what the other issues are with fMRI or if they even relate to that, but that's what we know so far. Okay. So, um, okay. So, getting back to science as not a worldview. Okay. So, 
I'm saying, in the reasons I said, that we can uh, investigate the interiority of experience. Okay. Okay. Um, and I think I've supported that. Um, now, one of the issues that you has was that it hasn't built its own worldview from the ground up because it was always, it was asking the same questions. Okay. Um, do you still hold to that? I, I know I, you touched on that in your initial monologue, but... Yeah, I think that um, this is one way to see that science isn't operating from purely uh, reason and evidence to build a worldview, because if it had, we would see that the conclusions that it comes to are what the data leads it to. But instead, don't see that? instead, we are seeing that the data leads to the same questions as the data doesn't lead to the questions. Sorry, you're getting this backwards. There's a there's an answer to the question. Where did we come from? Okay. How did the universe begin or did the universe begin? How did this planet get here? Before we invented the scientific method to investigate these things, we had a religious answer. This is just human questions. These mm. are things humans do, right? Okay. And humans invented religion before they invented science. You'd agree to that? Sure. Okay. And humans ask these kinds of questions. You would agree to that? I mean, anthropologically, yes, but I'm not, I'm not sure what your point is there. The like, point is, is that science doesn't have to build a worldview based on completely different questions than the ones we've been trying to answer since the beginning of, you know, whatever, the thinking human. Why would it have to do that in order to be a valid Well, let me give an example view? of how the data leads to different questions. When the Greeks were trying to investigate the nature of the material universe, they had a lot of these theories of the elements, right, with fire, earth, wind, and water. Mm -hmm. And they constructed lots of different models for how the interactions between those elements could cause the behavior of the phenomenal world that we see. Mm -hmm. And they came up with a lot of interesting ideas, right? Ideas that were consistent, somewhat empirical. You know, you burn something and you see these, this fire go to heaven and the ashes stay on the earth, right? So they're trying to connect things in an empirical way. Sure. But the conclusions that they drew are based on axioms that no longer hold, right? Okay. Like that, uh, f that these elements, for example, are the basic building blocks of, of material, yeah, material. material world. Yes. So the way that we evolve in science is to collect data about things and then try to fit those data into models which have predictive power. So the, the answers that we come up with through data over time, I'm going to fast forward through a lot of science here, but now we have this idea that the, the basic building blocks of reality are, are atoms and even, even lower than that, these, the quantum realm, right? Yeah. We didn't come to the conclusion. We didn't say, how can I collect data about atoms? We said, let me collect data. And then eventually that data leads us to these questions, which we answer with atoms. Well, the, right? So we don't start with the questions. We start by collecting data, I think, uh, and then we build models out of that no, data. I, I think that's where we, we differ. I don't know why you're saying we don't start with questions. I think we start with questions. We started with questions. What is stuff made out of? Hmm. Why is there something rather than nothing? Where did the universe come from? Why are all the stars in the sky? Why are we on this planet? How did, how, how did we evolve or how did we get here? You know, before we understood what the word evolve means. Mm. Um, I think we were asking these questions 
And the methodology that we invented to answer those questions was science. Hmm. And before we invented science, we invented religion and other things, right? In the Greeks, there were, you know, philosophy and other things that were invented before science, mm. trying to answer these questions, uh, specifically metaphysics, um, which didn't lead to epistemology for some, you know, myriad of time and really didn't come. Epistemology didn't come to fruition until science was invented because we how things happen needed a methodology to, to answer those questions. But these questions are just questions that we ask. Mm. It's I wouldn't expect any human endeavor or worldview to come up with its own completely unique questions. I will say this. Um, we didn't even know which questions to ask until we invented science. We were just asking the real basic ones, like mm. what is stuff made out of? How did we get here? Where did we come from? How did life start? Where did the stars come from? What? How did the universe come into existence? So, Science built a worldview based on evidence and fact. And I want to make this clear. So your definition of worldview is the first part of it is a model of the world. Do you agree that science has given us a model of the world? Many models of the world. Well, you agree, though, that it's a correct model of the world. Many correct models of the world. Okay. So we have you accept spherical Earth. Well, it's not spherical, but sure. <laughs> it's not spherical? It's not a sphere. I said spherical, like sphere-ish. That's not what spherical means, but go ahead. I know what you mean. Okay. It's not a perfect sphere, but <laughs> right. you, it's sphere-like. Sure. Okay. It's kind of pear-shaped, actually. You would accept the, th rel the relativity theory of gravity. Okay. Yeah? Sure. Okay. You accept Big Bang cosmology. Sure. Okay. These are all models of the world that were given to us by science and nothing else. Nothing else gave us these things. Do you accept that? Yeah. Okay, so the first part of worldview has definitely been covered by science. <clears throat> the first part of the definition of a worldview via Vervecki has definitely been covered by science. <laughs> Is that correct? We have a model of the world? Okay. I mean, I, I understand where you're at. But the way that you're talking about scientific models of the world is going to be disconnected from the next part of the worldview that you're talking about. Well, because I'm just trying to establish... These things have to be tied together. No, we will tie them. Don't okay. worry. I'm, I'm right. going to tie them together. But the first part of the definition that Vicky gave us was a model of the world. Okay. Right? Yep. And and your claim is that science cannot be a starting point for a worldview, that it's not a, a, a worldview. Well, what you mean is, what you're, you're saying is a model of the Earth, a model of the globe as it rotates no, no, around no. the sun no, and no, space. No, no, no. I'm talking about a worldview, and I'm going to tie it to the agent in the world such that those agents' actions make sense. But first, well, the first part is a model of the world. First, we have to understand you, that we're an agent in the world, and what is that world, and what is the model of that world? You did bring up spherical, right? Yeah. The so I assume you're talking about the earth, shape. the earth as seen from space. Sure. That's what yeah. you're getting at, right? Well, I talked about that, and I talked about the cosmos, and I talked about, you know, gravity yes, and specifically the, the modeling earth, of the things that we see. Specifically the earth, you said was spherical. Okay. Right? So mm -hmm. when you say that, I'm imagining you, are you going to talk about the earth as seen from space and the world, as John Verveke is talking about in his worldview, as being equivalent? What he's talking about 
in his model of the world is his model of human experience in 3D dimensions, right? Okay. It's the, it's the external. It's all that is outside of our head, the verifiably objective. It's a model of the world and an agent in that world, meaning now he's placing a person a moral agent in this world, which could be the spherical world as literal or just our 3D, three-dimensional experience in which we see things like worlds, planets, the cosmos, trees, other people, stuff, right? Well, I think you're already projecting your scientific material worldview onto his definition of worldview because you're saying that the definition of the world is a model of the external three-dimensional world. Well, I'm trying to establish that science can give us a worldview. And in order for us to be an agent in a three-dimensional world, we have to have an understanding of that three-dimensional world. Okay. And science has given us a good understanding of the three-dimensional world. Okay. Is that, do you accept that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So now it says the second part of the, de- of the definition is an agent. It has to give us an agent in that world such that the agent's actions make sense. So... You agree that science has a science of human, not just evolution, but physiology, medicine, and all these things. So science has a very good understanding of the agent. Mm. Do you agree to that? Agents being people. Yes, I agree that science has good understandings of people. Okay. And that science also has a good understanding of how agents' actions in the world affect the world itself and other people in that world. Do you agree to that? I think in the sense that you're talking about scientists, excuse me, science investigates why people have done things, what evolutionary factors, for example, might motivate Mm -hmm. an agent to do certain things. Sure. What about just an agent doing something and its effects in the world? Oh, like the effects of moving a physical body or... Or well, like just that. anything. The effects of us talking about this on a podcast. Other agents are going to hear it. We understand that it might change synapses in their brain or that they might take it on board or that they might reject it. We but, understand that the actions that the agent takes in the world have reactions or have effects on the exterior world, exterior from the agent themselves. And science can give us an understanding of those effects. Well, what you just said was quite broad in terms of sure, other people. Sure, I'm starting broad and I'm going to get narrower other, as we... Other people hear what we're saying and it might have an effect on them. You think that science understands all of that? I'm saying that science has a way for us to analyze and understand this. Yes, science has something to say about that. Okay. I think that's true. Okay. But I don't think that we've established yet that science has a way of understanding the effects that our words and actions are going to have on the world, like holistically. Well, maybe we can get into that in a second, but so far we have a model of the world that science can talk about, Mm -hmm. right? So there's part of a worldview that can be influenced by science. So science has an element in that worldview. It has an agent. Science can tell us about the agents therein, right? And now the big part, right? Agents, actions, and how they make sense. Okay. So let's, we talked about agent actions. Science can identify actions in the world, agents, actions, right? Yeah. And now let's talk about making sense because I think that's where the rubber meets the road. Okay. And I think that's where, where you're going to try to wedge a gap and I'm going to be able to fill the gap or I'll uh, hopefully be able to fill the gap. So when we're talking about whether or not an agent's actions make sense, 
let let me if you would please give me what you would say that is in a worldview because you're just you defined this this was your definition of worldview right you wanted Verveki's definition and it's a good definition I like it model of the world and a model of the agent in the world such that the agent's actions make sense okay so what does that mean makes sense hmm well I think Part of what this definition captures is how loose that idea can be, right? The agent, the, con- the interaction between the agent and his world will consist of how the agent views the world. Sure. And so the actions that the agent takes will need to make sense within that world. Okay. Does that make sense? It does. Okay. So let's, okay, so let's take an action. Let's take Jesus. So Jesus Christ in the New Testament, uh, I'm not convinced that he exists, but let's just say for the sake of this talk that he does. Okay. Okay. And that the story you said in Matthew, I believe it was, also exists, that that happened. Okay. Okay. So Jesus tells uh, people he's hanging out at somebody's house and they're about to eat and they're washing their dishes and they're basically sanitizing things before eating. Mm. And Jesus tells them, you don't have to do that. You're wasting your time. Okay. Um, evil does not come from without... It comes from within, mm. right? It's a spiritual issue. Okay. You're not right with God if you get sick. Because he thought that getting sick meant there were demons in your body. That's why when he cast demons out of people's body, it cured them okay. in other stories, right? So Jesus didn't understand the germ theory of disease. But for our actions in the world to make sense, we now have an understanding of the germ theory of disease. Mm. And we can say why Jesus was wrong and what he said didn't make any sense. Mm. If you don't want your children to get sick, if you want your actions to make sense, in other words, you want your family to flourish or the people around you to not get sick, you sanitize your silverware and your dishes, Mm. right? That is how a model of the world, a scientific model of the world, understanding the germ theory of disease places an agent in that world, an understanding of humankind and humanity and the medical limitations of humankind, right? Dictates our actions if we're the type of people that want our children to survive in late into their life, right? In this case, it would be into their 80s or 90s. In the time of Jesus, it might have been into their 50s, right? If they were really lucky. Mm -hmm. Um, our actions only make sense in relation to these facts, scientific facts and understandings of the world. And therefore you sanitize your dishes because what he said, Jesus in this case was nonsense. Evil and sickness does not come from within. It's not a, a fight between you and God and the devil spiritual battle within your body that makes you sick. It's the germ theory of disease. Mm. It's the Gerardia in your water. What do you say to that? Is that not a scientific worldview that takes an agent in the world and makes sense of their actions? Um, Well, you made a lot of assertions there. Let's see. I think the first thing I would point out is that it sounds like you are less interested in talking about a scientific worldview than in immediately launching an attack on religious thinking. No, this was an example of a worldview which is scientific in contrast to one that is not, which was Jesus' worldview. Mm -hmm. And Jesus' worldview couldn't be scientific because he, uh, quote-unquote, lived before the invent of science. Mm -hmm. But he was wrong. 
in that particular case. And his worldview mattered if he had had a scientific worldview, one that you are claiming doesn't exist or can't be something that we base our worldview on, he would have told those people, not only should you sanitize that with water, but there's something called soap that's going to help you immensely. And you should probably boil that water to sanitize the water itself. And I can show you how to make alcohol to further sanitize things. This is all things science gave us. From having a scientific worldview, asking the questions, how do we make ourselves safe from, from sickness, and then verifying, falsifying, quantifying all the things science does, peer reviewing, we're able to now say with absolute confidence that those things, you're better off for doing those things than you are not. And you're not engaged in a spiritual battle. You're engaged in a fight internally between bacteria and your gut or whatever. And that's the battle between good and evil? No, that there is no battle between good and evil. You don't get sick because you've done something evil or that there's a battle between good and evil. You get sick because there's bacteria in your gut that shouldn't be there because you didn't wash your dishes. So I've given you now a scientific worldview. Why is that not a valid worldview? <laughs> well, I think in the way that you... Um, sort of sidled past what the point of washing your hands is you're you're missing the difference between why like I <laughs> let me just ask a yes or no question okay. is that a scientific worldview well you haven't provided the reason for why I mean you did provide the the benefit what happens when you wash your hands? You live longer. But you haven't yet at least described why do you want to live longer? Okay. So how does that, is that a yes or no answer to, is that a scientific worldview? Well, I guess you could say, sure, it's a scientific worldview, but if you want to assert that's your scientific worldview, then I'll just start pointing out why it doesn't actually include all of the reasons that the agent is taking action. Well, hold on a second. So that is a model of the world and an agent in that world such that the agent's actions make sense? Mm. It satisfies your definition of a worldview? Well, you haven't explained why the agent wants to wash their hands. So that they don't get sick. I explained that. And then? And then what? So they don't die. Okay. Okay. So why don't they want to die? Why don't people want to die? Right. Because they prefer to live. Why do people prefer to live? Because they don't know what death is and they know what life is and they're more comfortable with things that they know. Plus, life has the opportunity to be very good, to have good experiences and feelings. And we know for sure that when we die, we cease to have these experiences and feelings. Mm. So I think what I want to point out here is that your worldview should encompass all of that. It you does. You zoomed right into this level of germ theory. But when we're talking about the scientific worldview, it does, we need it to does have account for all of that. that, right? Yeah. I just I use this example as an example where a model of the world, understanding germ theory, right? That is a model of the world. It's a model in the scientific worldview. There's plenty of other models of the world in the scientific world. It falls right? in the category of a model of the world, correct? It's of the world yes, and it's yes, a model therein. Right. Yes. Correct? Okay. 
and in the world, I'm an agent. And such that my actions make sense, I'm going to wash my dishes because I understand the germ theory model of the world. This is, in my, in other words, I'm hammering this home now because, and I didn't mean to get short with you just now. I gave you sort of like a death glare, but I didn't mean it. I, I really do enjoy this. I'm having a lot of fun. I'm not trying to be rude or mean or anything, and I do love you. I know you don't believe me, but I do. I, I'm here, I, Yeah, no, I know. I'm just teasing you. What, what I want to say, though, is that you saying that science isn't a valid place to start from a worldview is not only false, but it's a little bit irresponsible. If we don't have a scientific understanding of the world, then we are in just shrouded in ignorance. And unfortunately, we're going to fall into the same problem that those poor Jewish people did, which is probably diet maybe 50 if we're lucky instead of 80 or 90 right so and not have that full experience of life so what i think you just demonstrated do, is okay. how Ooh, your, sorry can you what i think you just demonstrated is how your what you're calling a model of the world is you zoomed out of it pretty quickly when you were making well you asked some specific questions yes you said like, yes do yeah. i how, why do i want to live and so on and so on yes so but i can account for all that good my point is that this thing that you're calling a worldview in terms of the, the germ theory is not your is not your enclosing model it's it's a piece of what you do in that scientific circle push that mic what, what i would say about what you just said in terms of the scientific worldview is that a germ theory of the world is not a worldview. No, but it's it a, is a model of what occurs in the world, and I'm, I, I accept it because I have a scientific worldview. Okay. It's a scientific, it's an example of an element of what a scientific worldview is, mm. right? It's made up of many elements. It's not just the, therm, the germ theory of disease. Mm. It's also the Big Bang theory of cosmology. It's also the, um, well, the, the abiogenesis, the theory of abiogenesis right now is, is a little bit muddy, but we haven't gotten all the way there yet. But it's that we... Did that there was some sort of abiogenesis event, a natural event, mm. one that we haven't been able to um, demonstrate in the in the lab from start to finish, but we've demonstrated sufficiently the different intermingling parts, just okay. not from no life to life yet. So the theory of evolution and so on and so on. What These I was scientific theories. What I would say about this idea that you are proposing in terms of this model of germ theory is that. I don't have any trouble adopting a model of germ theory in my worldview. Because you also have a scientific worldview. You're not stupid. I know you're not stupid. I don't need to have a scientific worldview in order to adopt a germ theory that helps me wash my hands and live longer. Well, let's, let's not get into that yet. I okay. think that's a different topic, to be honest with you. But will you at least concede now that your assertion in the first podcast that it, having a scientific worldview is not a thing or not a safe thing or not an not a appropriate place to start for having a worldview is probably incorrect? What the point that I'm trying to make, as ever, is that, I mean, as, as now I can see, as we've been trying to make for four and a half, five hours, is that... Um, Time just flies when we're together, so it's no big deal. <laughs> is that there is a gap between 
the experience between the first person experience and between what science is currently, I'll concede currently, able to measure in a material worldview, it may be that science will undermine that um, that gap that I'm perceiving or making up, and it may even make it up soon, and I'll have to adjust my whole worldview to deal with that. But as of now, science doesn't have direct access to the interiority of experience. And, and if those things exist in the world, then I want them to exist in my worldview also, especially because for me, they are primary. They're my primary means of interfacing with reality, my conscious experiences. Mm -hmm. And you're saying you adopt a germ theory of the world because you have a scientific worldview and that therefore a scientific worldview must exist. No, I'm not saying it must exist. Mm. I'm saying that it's a safe place to have a worldview. I can exist there. Ah, okay. I, it's no problem for me to have a scientific worldview. And you said in your first, in our first recording, that this was not a safe place for me to start off from. Right. And, and I've just demonstrated that it is, at least in the case of germ theory of disease. Now we could get into some particulars about other things that it doesn't do, if there are such things. But I think. With this example, I've sufficiently demonstrated that I can start from science. I don't have to, in other words, I don't have to have any theology whatsoever. I don't have to have any other thing to position myself as uh, an agent in the world to have a clear and distinct model of that world that's accurate and to make my actions make sense in that, in that worldview. What I'm trying to say by claiming that a scientific worldview doesn't exist is that... Can you at least acknowledge that what I said was correct and that you agree? Well, I don't before agree changing, with it. You don't agree that I just demonstrated that my model of the world didn't have any theology in it whatsoever. That I was able to have a correct and accurate model of the world, in this case, the germ theory of disease, and that the agent in that world was able to act in ways that made sense. I'm just not sure what the point of having a series of leading questions is. If you want to understand what I'm saying, why ask me a series of... Because you're not answering my questions. You're, you will not acknowledge that this is a, is a valid worldview I, that you, has you, an agent in it who can make sense of their actions. You don't need a world... Like, that is not a worldview. Okay. Having a view of you in the bathroom even though and it, washing your hands in the bathroom is not a view of the world. Even though, it, even though it meets all of your definitionary criteria. But go ahead. I want to let you talk because I know you're getting mad at me because I'm interrupting you. So go ahead. It's not a worldview or whatever because whatever. You in the bathroom washing your hands to get rid of germs is not a comprehensive worldview. It doesn't capture what the world is. Well, like it's a subset of the it's I a subset of the world. No, it's a subset. Yeah. It's so that's subset. not a worldview. It's an element of my worldview. Okay. And I can elaborate on I would on never it. deny that it's an element. It's also an element of my worldview. Well, then I can give you any other element. You can ask me any other thing and I do not need theology in any way shape or form to be a to have an accurate model of the world where an agent, me or any other agent is able to make sense of their actions. I can do that, and I can do that without theology. And that was your big problem with science, is that you said, I couldn't do that, and I can, and I will, and we should try it out. We should test it, because I think I, I don't think there's any problem with it. Cool. You still don't accept it. Well, it seems like you think that if you say the right words in the right order, that I have to say, I accept what you're saying. 
if you want to be considered open-minded and if you want to be considered somebody who's reasonable, yes. So in order for me to be open-minded, I have to agree with what you say. No, you have to agree with reason and evidence. And if I take your definition of a worldview and then plug in the scientific explanation for all of those elements, you should, yes, accept that. And if you don't, then you're being... I don't know what, maybe stubborn or dogmatic, mm. or I haven't done it to sufficiently for you. It's not, it's too narrow. It's an example of my worldview that doesn't have anything to do with theology and accounts for your definition of a worldview. Maybe we just need to explode it into a bigger, more encompassing idea, which I'm totally willing to do. But well, I just well, wanted first to demonstrate you said, to you first that you said I can it, have a scientific worldview. First you said, this is how I can demonstrate that I have a scientific worldview. And then you admitted, this is a an element of a scientific worldview. So I don't understand why you're not seeing the gap between those two things. No, I do. I see, I see that this is a small piece of a much larger scientific worldview. Okay. But it is a part of a scientific worldview. Okay. It is a way for an agent to so make when, a model of the world that's accurate enough so that their actions make sense. It, it, okay. It Great. meets your definitionary criteria. It, it, it meets the criteria in the sense that it could be part of a worldview. Okay, so well, now that's you, it. Now you can demonstrate the worldview and not just a part of the worldview. Okay, so how would you like me to do that? How would you like me to demonstrate? What would be your gotcha for my scientific worldview? I don't have a gotcha. I don't think that you have a scientific worldview. So I don't, however you want to present it is up to you. You don't think I have one? Didn't you just say that I do? It's just not big enough yet to encompass all that it needs to? Well, I said in my intro that I think that people who think that they have a scientific worldview are always slipping outside of the bounds of scientific thinking in order to actually have a worldview. All right. Well, then give me an example. Test me. Get me to slip out. You could, if you could parse that out of me. You're a smart guy. You could give me some sort of way for me to fuck it all up and screw up my worldview and you could be like, ha That's not scientific. I could if I thought that was a useful mode of discourse. Mm, sure. Yeah, you're above it. My ass. Anyway, well, let's move on. Since okay. you don't want to go there. But that, to me, is a demonstration, and I can give, I can give you any Well, you need to give the scientific worldview if you have a scientific worldview. Well, I can do... Are you saying you just want me to elaborate like, on it more generally? I mean, because this was an example of what it would mean to use your scientific worldview. I accept the science of germ theory. Okay. And all of the accepting that I do in the world is based on the science of something. So, for instance, I do not accept that the evil comes from within theory of germs. I do not accept Jesus' explanation of why you have germs or why you get sick. Well, what Jesus said, I believe what you're referring to is that it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but what comes out of a man that defiles him. It depends on which version you read. Okay. Yeah. I mean, as to what the actual words are. But it's all the same. It's, it's don't worry about washing your dishes. Evil does not come from without. It comes from within. You're engaged in a spiritual battle, so on and so on. Mm. So I think an example of what Jesus is talking about is that, for example, if a man had arranged himself internally such that he would make an assertion like, we have to ask children after they've been raped whether or not they were experiencing suffering to know whether or not raping children was wrong. That would be an example of how to see that someone has defiled themselves from within. That it wasn't something that they ate that made them say that. It was the way that they constructed their own 
personality or or moral well, justifications. I don't think you construct your own personality. I don't see how you do that exactly. I mean, let's get to something a little more with a little more oomph. Okay. What's I don't I don't I don't know what you're getting at right there, but. One of the things that this sort of transitions into nicely is then now we can talk about my problems with religion. If you're ready for that, or I'm if ready you for talk it. About but I thought else. I thought we were going to be where we are now after 15 minutes. So, do you want to start the discussion about you taking down religion? I need to leave at about five. Oh, okay. so that doesn't give you much time to do your damage. Well, do you do you want to do you want to take a stab at it now, and then we can. Try again another time, or we can change the subject. I don't think I'll need that much. Okay. All right. Let's okay. Go for it. So the the biggest problem I have with religion and the religious worldview is that it's not based on evidence. Um, this is to me un uh, uncontroversial. It it is defined in the Bible and amongst its believers as faith, which is in some uses uh, believing without evidence and in some uses of the word is believing or having trust in or having hope for but generally also without evidence um, why believe in anything without evidence why why take that on I don't understand why somebody would believe something on faith when they could as I've demonstrated, have a worldview that's based on evidence. That's my that's my biggest problem mm. with religion. Um, I have many, many more, but why don't we just start with that? We can dip our toe in there, and we can we can tap out anytime you want. Okay, and we can go on to Christianity in particular. Okay, because that's religion in general. Okay, do you want to go there, or do you want to go to Christianity in particular? Um, it's up to you. This is your takedown. Okay, well, let's start there then. Okay. There's no evidence. Okay. So why do you believe it? Why, why take something on board that you can't show to be true, that nobody can show to be true? Well, what kind of evidence would you accept for the kinds of claims that religion makes? The exact same kind of evidence you would accept for Poseidon or Allah or any Hindu god so or going... any of the other gods you reject. It's the exact same kind of evidence. See, here's the thing. You're an atheist. Oh, you have more to say. <laughs> no, but think about it. You're an atheist, just not in respect to Yahweh or Jesus. Okay. Do you agree with that? That's that doesn't fit the definition of what an atheist is. Sure, it does. You don't. You're an atheist with respect to Allah, right? You don't believe in Allah. That's not what the definition of an atheist is. Do you believe in Allah? What, what do you mean by believe in? Do you believe in Jesus? Yes. Do you believe in Allah? What do you mean by believe in? The same thing I meant by do you believe in Jesus? Do you, you mean the same thing Allah? that I meant by what what I mean by do I believe in Jesus? All right? I guess. Do you believe in Allah? Do you believe do you believe that the Quran is an example of a holy book that is infallible the way the Bible is, that is an, an accurate explanation of what happened to the Prophet Muhammad and his beloved Allah? The Quran is not my business. You can still answer the question, yes or no, whether you believe in it or not. I could if I wanted to, but so I'm going to answer it to. in the way that I have a worldview, which is to say that the Quran is not my business. What about Poseidon? Do you believe in Poseidon? Poseidon is also not my business. 
<laughs> okay. So you just refuse to answer the question. You do you don't you you won't take a position because you know that this is going to damn you well, after you, you answer no. You want me to answer the question in your epistemology of knowledge. No, I want you to answer it in any way you want. I just did. You can answer yes or no and then give why. <laughs> so you yes want me or to no. answer the question in your way of answering the question. You want to ask me a series of leading questions no. and then get me to play along in your game. It's not a game. So There's just no game just here. say what you think. Don't ask me what I think. Just say what you think. I already did. I don't know why you would believe in and something. Why are you asking evidence? me questions? I can I can answer your question. What's but, wrong with asking questions? How am I going to find out well, what you think or what you believe? When I started to tell you what I think, you interrupted me and then started asking me a series of leading questions. Do you think that's a useful way to get at what I actually think? Okay, well then... But you can go ahead and finish what you think. What I answer, understand the point you're trying to make. You're trying question, to make the point that because I don't worship every god who's ever existed, I don't really believe in gods. I never said you don't believe in gods. I, I, I fully agree that you believe in Jesus and you Well, know, you said I'm an atheist. I said you're an atheist in respect to Allah, Poseidon, all the other gods except for your two chosen gods, two that you were indoctrinated into as a child. You're trying to make the point that I'm a non-believer. Because of it, Allah and Poseidon, right. you're yeah, a believer in Jesus sure. and Yahweh. Sure. Correct? Yeah. Okay. So why do you believe in them when there's no evidence to support them? Well, what evidence would you accept that a human being was the incarnation of the infinite God? What evidence would I accept? Right. Um... A demonstration that there is an infinite God. How would you perceive that the demonstration was correct? Like, in I'd what way would you be able to perceive an in infinite some, God? In some way, I would be able to sense it, and then a bunch of other people would also be able to sense it but that's and not verify evidence. it. That is the scientific method. That could just be the the God part of your brain getting triggered, right? And you've already established that that's not sufficient for you. No, you're talking about something that happens in the external world. Or, no, I'm sorry. You're asking me what kind of evidence I would take, and that's the kind of evidence I would take. Something that's demonstrable, that's repeatable, falsifiable, mm. and would stand uh, up to peer review, which means it's um, verifiable by other people. And what would that evidence look like? I'm not really sure. I, I don't know what it would look like. Like, you mean the actual visage? Like, what would no, God's face no, I mean, look like? What, what would the form of the evidence be? Would it be atomic evidence or biological evidence? Any, or? any kind of physical evidence would do. Anything. Any kind of evidence that something was an incarnation of the infinite God? Any kind of physical evidence that this infinite that's God I, exists. That's what I'm asking you. What, what, what form could that evidence possibly take? And pick your pick your form, any kind. Well, it, is, it, you're the one who wants to see the evidence. No, I I don't I don't create evidence in my mind. Evidence, it's either material and evidentially uh, verifiable and falsifiable, or in other words, it doesn't exist. Mm. So this God is indistinguishable from what you're saying. No, I'm asking you. Like, I think the question is just a sophomoric waste of time because you know that there's no evidence that could be gathered by science that could approach there's no evidence that could be gathered at all is there any physical evidence that's exactly at my all? point so why ask the question because why would you believe in something that has absolutely no physical boundaries no physical measurements no physical manifestation as is and also is completely um 
it, you can, it, indistinguishable from not existing. Mm. Why assume it exists? Why believe it? Yeah, that's what I'm trying to to turn around is to say like, you know that there's no answer to that question that would satisfy you. So when I so did if some you, leading questions, you got upset. And now you're leading into some questions and I'm answering them and I keep answering them and I'm answering them with the same answer. Okay, I'll just, I'll just say it straight out then. I think that what you're doing is just intellectual masturbation. You like to feel superior to religious, to people who think religiously or who do religion. And you know that there's no answer to this question that would satisfy you. So you just want to get no, a religious person no, in no, front no, of the you. The answer would satisfy me if it manifested in reality. But you just said that there's no possible answer. No, 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 no. If God manifested in reality and we were able to test it and verify it mm -hmm. and quantify it and falsify mm -hmm. it and all that, then I would believe it. Just like I do the existence of the sun or the existence of germs or mm. the existence of any other thing that may be fleeting or difficult for me to identify. Atomic theory, for instance, or mm -hmm. quantum. But just another... I believe those things because they manifest in reality mm -hmm. and because they meet the criteria of all those other things. But just a minute ago, you were expressing all of the ways in which you know that there's no way that you could test for something in a physical universe which has been posited to be infinite or ineffable in some way. Right? What? You were just saying that. How could you test? What evidence could there be? Wasn't that the question that came out of your mouth? What evidence could what there What evidence be? could there be for the existence of an infinite God or for the in incarnation of an infinite God? Okay. You just asked that question. I you said, did? Yes. I thought you were asking that question. I did, and then you echoed it back to me. So I know that you understand what I'm saying, which is that there's no evidence that you would accept. You're saying if there were evidence... No, no, no. You keep saying that. Hold, hold on. Hold on. There is evidence I would accept. Okay. It's not that I wouldn't accept evidence if it was forthright, but there is none forthcoming. There so you're saying... If there were evidence that you would accept, then you would accept it. No, I'm saying if there were evidence, I would accept it. Okay. So you're saying that there is no evidence. I'm saying I haven't seen any evidence. Do you think that there could be any kind of evidence? There probably could be. I don't know. Of an infinite God manifesting in human form. In human form? Sure. This is what the story of Jesus is, right? Oh, um, well, I guess. Yeah, I guess that is the story of Jesus. Uh, I mean... I get. I don't know. I don't know what you're asking now. Uh, do what, I, what I'm saying is that I think that you are only asking this question in order to show that my beliefs don't fit into your worldview. Well, I think clearly religious and theological or theology beliefs don't fit into an evidence-based scientific na methodological naturalism worldview. That's why I don't believe them. If they produced the kind of evidence that we could do all the tests that I just described, then I would believe it. Mm. Here's a good answer. I'm not really sure what kind of evidence it would take because I don't, I've never even heard a definition of God that makes any sense. But if God exists, let me just ask you a couple of yes or no questions. Okay. If God exists and he's the God of the Bible, you would agree that he wants me to know him. Yes. Okay. And you would agree that he wants me to believe in him? Yes. Okay. Uh, then I assume, would you also agree that God of the Bible would essentially be all powerful? We might be able to parse out some things God couldn't do, but essentially God can do whatever he wants. Okay. Is that a yes? Yes. Okay. Then I'm sure God could figure out what it would take to convince me. Mm. And the fact that God hasn't 
and doesn't seem to be doing it at all or even trying. Uh, it's not really my problem. It's not my fault. But I'm not setting up an impossible... Uh, it's very possible. If God were as easy to demonstrate and verify as this notebook that I hold in my hand right now, then I would believe in him just as I believe in this notebook. You believe in that notebook? I believe it exists. Okay. Is that what you think believing in God also means? If you want to say the word exists, I think what, I think what people say, When they say they believe in God, I think they say they assume God exists because they have either some kind of gap mm. or they were indoctrinated to believe that way and they never were able to get out of that indoctrination. My point is that, I mean, your question, I understand your question. Why believe something for which there's no evidence? Mm -hmm. But I think that the way in which, I mean, first of all, you want me to talk in your epistemology and ontology of things which exist and methods of knowledge that we extract patterns out of those things that exist. And you are using words which we use in religion, but they mean completely different things than they mean when we're talking about them in science. So the word exists means something different in religion, you mean? Of course, of course. So the, what does it mean in religion? Well... The word exist, I mean, specifically. Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. I think one way that we're comfortable saying that something exists from a religious perspective is to say... You could start with our conversation from earlier. I'm comfortable with saying that my conscious experiences exist. And I'm comfortable using that as a basis for forming a worldview. But you can experience what you're calling consciousness. Keep going. I don't, I don't see how you can experience God. You experience something in your consciousness that you're calling God. Well, you know how people can experience God in their consciousness because mm, you've... No, I know that people can experience... There's no need to interrupt my every sentence, Paul. I was Go just ahead. going to finish by saying something that you mentioned earlier, which is that you can stimulate a certain region of the brain and cause an experience of God. You can call... Okay. You, what you think is, yeah, a God. Okay. So you know at least one way in which people can experience God in their consciousness. Um, I would, I would draw, I would hold back that and say that they think they're experiencing something that they're calling God, but they're not, we don't know that that's what God is. That's mm. not a verification of God, in other words. I would say the exact same thing about the experience of euphoria. A person is experiencing something that they think is euphoria but there's no way of verifying what it actually is. It's an experience which is intangible and unavailable to sci direct scientific measurement. But the thing that those people experience when they're talking about God is a presence. Mm. A presence manifests in, in reality. Mm. My presence behind you, for instance, or the feeling that you're being watched, for mm. instance, or something like that. Okay. Those are actual things in existence. They don't feel like they're experiencing something that doesn't exist. They think it exists. They don't have to change the meaning of the word exists. Mm. They think it's God and it exists and they can't see it or whatever, but they feel this just intense feeling like there's a presence around them. Presence is a feeling of existence. You don't have to change the meaning of the word for it to be relevant. Like you're saying you'd have to with religion. Well, it's, uh, we understand from ontology that they, when you adopt different ontologies, different things exist. You could see this even within the practice of science. So when I go to do physics, atoms and, and leptons and so forth, 
that's what exists. The models that I use for what exists don't have to take into account the sun or the moon or biological cells or what? or corporations. What are you talking about? You're n- no, that doesn't make any sense. I'm sorry. You, when we're talking about okay, you're saying if you're if you're if you're talking about uh, atomic f- physics, right? That you're talking about atoms and atoms exist. And you're saying they don't exist in biology? I'm saying when we do biology, we're not concerned with the existence of atoms. But atoms still exist. We showed that to be true. When we're doing biology, we don't care about the existence of atoms. You can zoom out of your biological mental models and say, yes, of course, atoms still exist. Watch. I'll zoom into my atomic mental models. But when I'm doing biology... I'm only concerned with the existence of cells and cellular processes and metabolism and so forth. Where do you zoom out and then you zoom into the part where God exists? There is no, in the same way that that's, that's using existence in the way I use it. And you're saying theologians have a different use for the word. Mm. So how does it exist? What is the word? How are you using that word then that's different? Well, when I come into my worldview, God exists in my worldview. Okay. So you're asking for But evidence. why doesn't God exist in my worldview also? Like, in your worldview, my germ theory exists, right? That's in, that still happens in your religious worldview, right? Yes. And the atomic theory still exists in that worldview? Mm-hmm. And so does, I guess, whatever other scientific theory we can point at? Why, right, when I zoom out of your theology and into my science, does your God disappear and not exist anymore? Because of what I, I brought up at the the outset in terms of why I want to say that science doesn't have access to all of reality. Science is concerned with finding certain kinds of patterns. In what way is God real? If it doesn't exist in the same way that everything else exists, if you have to change the definition of the word exist, then in what way does God actually, I'm not changing the definition. I'm showing that when we move to different frames, what exists in those frames changes. Mm, but you also admitted that even if you're in an atomic frame, that the biology, the, the stuff that exists still exists. You're just not I'm, thinking about it. I'm saying it exists in the context of the whole human, but not in the context of those atomic mental models. Okay, but in the, in the model of the whole human, if I'm not in a theological worldview, God does not exist. And, and can't be shown to the way that atoms can be if, if you're in an atomic whatever. Or, you know, if you're zooming into atomic theory, you can still show a, a biology facts of That's evolution right. to That's exist right. and so on. But God doesn't exist anywhere except for in this one worldview. And you can't bring him over to these other worldviews. Why is that? That means the word exist means something different. Well, again, you're saying worldviews. I can't bring them into these other worldviews. But... As, well, I, tr- you, as sorry, I tried to establish, they don't yeah. exist in that mental toolkit. But there's, again, most things don't exist in those toolkits, right? When you're looking at atoms, you, you, nothing else exists. No, all, all those other things still exist. You're just not looking at those other things. You're looking at atoms that exist in a biological creature, for instance. Mm-hmm. But so you don't, you don't that biological about... creature does exist. Mm-hmm. When you come out of the atomic mindset. I'll see this to me. This is, this is, uh, either I'm trying to think of the right, is it like casistry? It's, 
you're making these barriers that don't need to be there. Why can't you just say, because I have faith? I don't need a reason. It's because I say so. Why do you want me? Why do you want to put words in my mouth? I don't. I just want you to be honest. You just did. You just said, why can't you just say? Well, why can't you just do that? Why does it have to be this weird new definition of the word exist that doesn't exist in any, that nobody uses except for you, apparently? This is the first time I've ever heard anybody say anything like this. And it you you acknowledge that the biological part of it exists even when you're looking at the atomical part even if you're not paying attention to it because you're focused down to the atomic level the biology still exists but you also recognize that what do you mean by you're saying you but you mean you the scientist right no, i'm talking about you you said that even if you're looking at the atomic mm-hmm. you nathan spears yes so me the, the, the scientist bio- that's the, fine the biology still exists me the scientist when i'm doing well, even Adam, in your root. Sorry, go ahead. When I'm doing physics, I, Nathan, the consciousness, know, but the atomic models don't know anything about biology. Well, nobody said they did. Right? I'm talking that's about what you're asking existed. me to describe God in terms of is a scientific model that can be tested and verified. So you're not you're not concerned with Nathan, the consciousness. You're concerned with the atomic model, which is useful in that small scientific circle of validating kinds of experiences and information. What I'm concerned with is why you believe in something without any evidence. And you're saying essentially it's because it's in my mind. Because I, it's in my consciousness. Mm, I think that's right. Yeah. And but why? We've already established, I think, you, you obviously haven't agreed, but we've established that science doesn't have access to the interiority of consciousness. In other words, like, let's say that Not I was. Directly. Let's say that I was experienced. Yes, that's right. That's right. Exactly right. So indirectly, yes. Let's say that I was experiencing God, right? Okay. You were measuring me with an fMRI. Okay. I'm telling you that I'm experiencing God. Mm -hmm. Where is God missing? Huh? Like, so the, if, if I do that with euphoria, you're satisfied. There's dopamine, right? Yeah. There's some physical cause. Yeah. But if, if you measure me with the fMRI, let's say I've been praying or meditating and you can see my brain go into some other different state. Sure. And I say, I feel like I'm communing with God now, Mm -hmm. which I, I think this, I would not, um, this is not my proof for the evidence for the existence of God. Right. But I'm I'm just asking you like, if, if I got the fMRI and I, you see my brain change state and I say, I feel like I'm communing with God now. Mm-hmm. So what, now what's the difference between that and the experience of euphoria for you? Well, you just said that you did something to get into that mental state, right? Like okay. you prayed or, or whatever. Sure. So we have an external stimulus that mm. got you into a brain but state. But prayer is not an external stimulus. Prayer is an internal stimulus. Well, it's an action that you take. It's something that you're doing to change the internal state of your mind. Okay. I mean, I, I accept that you can meditate or whatever and change your internal state. Okay. But that internal state can be reproduced with the electrodes we talked about. Okay. So you don't need to do that. And we can test it. And where's the God in that? You can you can pray and then feel like you're... I've, I've, been in, I've had experiences where I felt like I was one with the universe. It was overwhelmingly enjoyable and, and just completely disarming, right? And I felt wonderful about it. But that doesn't mean I actually became one with the universe. I've even had senses where I felt like maybe I was talking to God, or maybe God was present in my life, Mm. or maybe something happened in my life that there was an agency, as you pointed out. We tend to 
we tend to see things in the world and then add an agency later on. It's mm. an evolutionary thing, right? Well, I thought, well, maybe God wanted me to find this at this time or whatever. It seems like a very odd coincidence. Okay. But that doesn't mean that that's actually God mm. or that that actually exists. Now, so, go ahead. What, well, what I hear you saying again is there's no form of evidence that I would accept as an experience in a limited finite being that would demonstrate no, 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 no. that that finite being is in communion with an infinite God. I no, need to no. be able to test and measure the God sort of separately from conscious experiences? Is that... No. The, I've already said there's multiple forms of evidence that I would accept. Okay. And I've, accept, and I've said that if we assume your God exists, the one that you say does exist... It and it it probably wants me to know it exists, and yet it fails to demonstrate itself. So not only do we have a disconnect from your God, but we have a disconnect in reality where anybody can verify its existence. Mm. This God, right? It's not me setting up a, a standard that's impossible to to break. All the things that exist break that standard. That's why I accept their existence. Mm. If we're going to talk about... Uh, there was something that occurred to me, though. I wonder if I can recapture it in my brain. Because I was thinking about it when you were talking about um, having, like, the experience of God in your mind or whatever. Mm. If you're saying that it exists in your consciousness, right? And therefore it exists. Mm. How are we... Uh, I'm saying that's where it exists. Sure, but you're saying that we can't investigate the inter interiority of experience and it exists in the interiority of your experience. So how are you investigating God? Mm. How do you know that that's what that's God? If, a, we, if we can't investigate that, it's a beautiful layup question. Um, my point is that this is where the investigation of God is happening is in the interiority of experience. Seek God where he may be found in contemplation and prayer. Now I'm going to, I'm going to... Can I ask you a quick question real quick before you move on? I guess you're going to. So you're saying that we... God exists in our consciousness, mm. and we can't investigate the inter interiority of that experience except through our consciousness. Okay. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Um, and I wouldn't say... God exists in our consciousness, but I would say that's where we commune with God. Right, but you said it was it exists because I say it exists in my consciousness. That's what you said that I said. No, 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 that's what you said. I said, so it exists in your consciousness, and you said yes. Mm -hmm. But I didn't say the way that you said it, which is always to make it sound a little sillier, right? No, I don't try to make it sound silly. I'm just trying to reiterate what you, you said to me. Do. You like to add tones and phrases to make it sound sillier. Well, okay, but you're, you're saying that God doesn't exist in the way that my notebook exists. Obviously not. Or and you would have saying, measured him, right? And you said that also, so oh, you agree with that point. Right. But you're saying it exists in your consciousness. I'm saying I commune with God in my consciousness. Where else would I commune with him? I don't know because I there's to me there is no okay, God. So, You're talking to yourself mm, in this example as far as I can tell. Mm, and I do it all the time. I just don't assume I'm talking to God. Mm. So let me lay out... I mean, if I... I don't know if we've made any progress on this, but um, having laid out why I think what most scientifically minded people are doing when they say where's the evidence for God is not a genuine question, but a weapon that they're leveling at religious people. They're not interested in the answer to the question. They're interested in trying to show religious people how there cannot be an answer to the question. So let me ask a couple more questions on top of that. Let's okay. say that again, we have this alien anthropologist, right? 
Okay. And maybe he's been sitting outside the orbit of Mars recording the entire history of the planet for however long. Of Mars or us? Uh, of Earth. Earth, right? okay. We, we haven't seen him yet. He's somewhere out there, right? Or okay, maybe there's gotcha. you know microscopic cameras on, on the planet somewhere just recording all of human history. Okay. And... One day when we're smart enough and don't look like we're going to try to, like, we stop making let's kill all the aliens type movies, um, he decides to come visit us. Okay. We seem a little friendlier. And he says, hey, I've got the recordings from your entire planet for all of history. Would you be interested in looking at these? Well, of course we would, right? Okay. So let's say we go back to history. We go back, we zoom back 2,000 years, and we see that every detail of Jesus' life as recorded in the Bible mm-hmm. is literally true. I don't even know what that phrase means, but let's say that all of the descriptions of his actions and his words are correct. So he raised Lazarus from the dead. Yes. He walked on water. Okay. Right. And uh, I'm going to say all the descriptions of his words and actions are correct. But when we go to the alien and say, Hey, was this guy the incarnation of the living God? He's like, I don't know. Right. Okay. So would the fact that that historical description of Jesus's life as a narrative, even assuming that he healed all the people and he himself rose from the dead after he was killed, would that verification be sufficient to validate his metaphysical claims that he is the son of and the incarnation of the infinite God? Are you asking me? If you want to give an answer, I'll just say that the answer is no, right? I agree. Because the metaphysical claims are metaphysical. Well, it's non sequiturs. None of those lead to an, any kind of demonstration of a God. Right. He can demonstrate that he can raise himself from the dead. Right. He can demonstrate that he was born of a virgin. He can demonstrate that he can cure people, but he's not demonstrating that he is God or That's that right. anybody else is God. That's right. So now, let's say that there was further, I I don't even know how to describe this, but let's say that we get even beneath quantum somewhere and Mm -hmm. detect some kind of God layer of the universe. Okay. Particle. I I, I was trying to stay away from that because I've heard that idea before, but I I don't even actually know what that means. It was Um, just a pitch pitch to get money. No, but go ahead. (laughs) So let's say that the alien is so advanced that he knows all about this God layer and he, you know, his data that he's got recorded of Jesus, Jesus is like infused with the God layer, right? So this is now a thing that generates data. Yes. Somehow we've, we've verified with science that Jesus is the incarnation of the living God and all of the claims in the Bible are scientifically verified as true. Okay. Would that be a reason to follow Jesus and worship Jesus? Mm, no. I think that's true also. But it does say that he's God. Yes. And that God exists. So what would be the reason to follow Jesus and worship Jesus? Is that uh, another rhetorical? Uh, or you, I'll give you, you my know? answer. I sure. mean, I think, I think the scientifically... My, I think this thought experiment is interesting because it allows the non-religious person to see that for most of them, it's not really evidence that they are that interested in. They just don't like 
religion. They don't want to worship something. No, they I, don't want to think in religious ways. They don't want to see the world through the religious worldview. They want to see it through the scientific worldview. So even if science were to demonstrate that Jesus was God mm-hmm. and, and had all these but claims... But then I would believe in God. Was, I would no longer be an atheist. Okay. So that would change my entire worldview. And I would take that on board. I wouldn't dogmatically stick to my atheism mm. and say, no, 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 no. Mm. I'd say, yep, I believe in God. That's fair. And I, I believe in Jesus as God. Okay. The risen Christ. Do you think that that is what the religious worldview... I'm sorry, I wasn't going to ask this question because I was going to give my answer to the last question, but I'm asking you this genuinely. Mm -hmm. Do you think when you imagine that scenario you're imagining right now, Mm -hmm. is that how you imagine that religious people hold their faith? That they they believe all that evidence? Yes, that they believe it as if they had all that evidence, even though they don't? I, I don't really know... I don't know. I, I know when I was religious, when I believed, um, it was because my parents and grandparents mm. and people told me that that's what I should believe. But surely, it was like how I believed in Santa Claus. Uh, but it was sh- the exact same way. Surely someone has gotten to the questions that you've gotten to and resolved them. in the, Because to believe in God in the way that... that oh, sorry. I'm pontificating here. Can Let I... Me, Really quick, sorry. Okay, uh, unlikely, if, but if I would worship God, <laughs> yes. Um, no, no, no. Asked if would you like when you said uh, the question was showing it was would, real. Would you having acknowledged all the evidence that God is real and that Jesus is God? Mm-hmm. You said I would believe in God and I would believe in Jesus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So earlier you said when, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to play gotchas here. I just want to please do get to the bottom of this. What? I don't like playing gotchas. I don't think it's a useful mode of discourse. I want to change my mind, though. And if you okay. got a gotcha, then I... I'm gotchas are not how people change their mind. Uh, how I do. When you said, I believe in God. And earlier you said that that is a way of saying, I believe that God exists. Do you think that I believe in Jesus is a statement of the same kind? I believe that Jesus exists? I don't know. It depends on the believer. Okay. That, that's, that's very fair because... That word is now very confused, the, the word believe. And I think also the word faith. We're not going to tackle this today, but I hope to well, talk to you at a later time about what belief and faith mean in the religious worldview this and is, how they relate to reason and science and evidence. This is so funny because I think faith and belief are perfectly fine in this context and exists is still the problem we're having. <laughs> okay. Because I don't think that you're accepting that word anymore as we as it as it is used every day and all the time. Even though you use it in your example of if I could show Jesus existed, if I could show that he was in fact God right. and that God in fact exists. You're using exists like we use the word notebook exists. And now you're saying should I worship him? Well, it's not that I don't like worshiping things. I don't see that there'd ever be a need to worship anything. Hmm. Why Why would you ever want to worship something? Okay. Like that to me is a very interesting, bizarre like thing. That's like saying, do you want to live in North Korea? Because then you can worship the great leader. Hmm. Like, why would you want to be in that arrangement with somebody? Hmm. If God exists and God loves me... Um, then why does God want me to worship hmm. him? Why, why is there this need for incessant, unending adulation? That's a fair question. And I think 
to that. I would, like to, I would like to get to that, but I would also like to lay out a religious worldview in a more comprehensive way than dealing with it piecemeal. And sure. I can try to contextualize all of these elements in that religious worldview. Um, it won't make sense to you, but what can you do? But can we go back to the reason that I asked you whether or not if you saw that Jesus existed in the same way that that notebook existed is because that's the only form of exist that you accept as scientific evidence. So that's why I use that. I wasn't trying to move back and forth. No, hold on, hold on. So what I want to say is about what would cause people to believe in God is from the two examples that I tried to show, not that we could verify that historically Jesus did the things that he is supposed to have done in the Bible or said the things that he's supposed to have said. It's not, and it wouldn't even be accomplished with scientific evidence. If we had scientific evidence, like frankly, if there were scientific evidence that God existed and Jesus existed and did all those things and Jesus was God and that was supposed to force me to be a Christian or whatever else, I, being a contrarian, would probably want to reject that just like Lucifer does, right? Like, I reject the most high. I want to do my own thing, right? I don't want to have to live by your rules to put me here and force me. the existence of God? If there was this scientific proof and that scientific proof was supposed to force me to like fall into line or whatever to right? worship to do the christian things of which worship is one but Mike, you wouldn't even believe in god you're saying well you would, you would say no i reject this i want to i want to say two things one is that you're using the word believe in two different ways because no i'm not wait, uh, you're pointing out that i'm using the word believe in two different ways how's that yeah you do tend to do that you so tend to use one word in one way for your liking and use and then in another way when it when it suits you at least so far okay so when we say that something, um, when we say that I believe that that notebook exists, I'm representing a, a proposition of a different kind than I am when I say I believe in God. Hmm. So I am asserting that God exists because otherwise it would be foolish to believe in him. But I also mean something more than that. Right. And I think that's where. But when I you, asked you about the existence part, that's where you that's where you said no, no, no. Existence means something different now, and now you're saying it means the same thing the notebook means. So that's why I said I'm you use saying, the word differently. I'm not saying that it means the same thing the word that the, that the notebook means. I'm saying that I used exist in that way in relation to God in that question because that is the form of existence that you acknowledge as evidence. No, no. Just now you said you said you you believe in God. Mm but you also think God exists, but there's more to it than that. Well, I'm saying it's implicit in the statement, I believe in God, right. that God exists. And exists, use, you're using the word exists in the same way the notebook exists. No, you're hearing it in the same way. It would be foolish of me to say that I believe in something that doesn't exist, but well, it doesn't mean that I accept your ontology. Then I right? think it, it doesn't mean that I I'm framing... I think you have to now redefine the word exists. We just need to... T- yes, that's true. And Which we, is something religious people do to suit their needs. Of course. Well, you say... To, <laughs> You say, of course. You this say, is why there's so many problems. People that aren't religious, by the way, they just have the one the one use, or or they recognize that there's limitations to this word, and they don't change it based on what they're talking about, so that it helps their position or makes the other person confused or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to keep things very clean and very simple. And now you're saying that I have to use a different 
uh, definition of the word exists. Why well, don't you just use a different word if it's a different definition of the word that we use for exists? Because we had the word exists before we had the scientific epistemology and ontology. Well, so clearly the word exists meant something before it had its scientific meaning. Well, I'm not saying that it doesn't, but you're saying it doesn't even mean that. I'm saying it means many things. I'm saying the human person is capable of holding many different ontologies of understanding that many different kinds of things exist. All right. Some of those things know. are physical. We can, Obviously, we, you don't know. But let me finish. I'm not even we, finished with the three questions part yet. Okay? Well, I'd just I'm be respectful done. of your time. It's I'm almost done. one minute till. The, the, the answer to the question that I want to give, which I think, I, I mean, I know you're not going to accept the answer, but thinking about the answer will help you understand what a religious person is doing when they believe in something. Um, the answer to the question, what would make you want to believe in Jesus and God with leaving a loose, I mean, a very, well, not even loose, an undefined, um, word believe there, right? Cause we need to talk about that. Okay. But I believe in God and Jesus is the transformation of my conscious experiences. How is that different from make believe? You're, it sounds like you're making yourself believe it and you're transforming. It's like make-believe or like wish-thinking. Well, How do you distinguish between those things? When I make-believe that I have bread in, the, in the, the fridge and then I make a make-believe sandwich and then I eat the make-believe sandwich, I'm still hungry, right? Yeah. If I make-believe that I'm experiencing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, the rest, then in reality, I won't be experiencing those things. So I need to have real experiences and I need to verify them in some real way in my consciousness, right? And this is, I mean, I'm going to switch to the negative for a second and say, but we, we know that religious people are not fooling themselves when they go, this is not working. I'm leaving. And they leave the religion, right? They're not fooling themselves? They no. stop fooling themselves in, uh, well, I would say in my language as well. In my religious worldview, if you aren't being transformed in the interiority of your consciousness, and furthermore, if that transformation isn't having fruit in the world, fruit in the lives of the people around you, and you aren't, I hate to use like pseudo-spiritual language, but having a better experience what we would call being saved in Christianity, if you aren't making progress toward being transformed into the image of Christ, then nothing is happening for you. Then you're experiencing make-believe. Then, then you're forcing yourself to, to overlay constructs onto your experiences that aren't really happening or doing anything. But my, I, I know you're not going to accept the statement, but this is my point is that this is where the evidence lies is in your consciousness and in the transformation of your consciousness, which leads to the transformation of your life, which is real, right? The, the output of your life is real. The evidence lies in your consciousness. The Are we redefining evidence now too? Because you said that we don't have a way to investigate the interiority. Well, you, you asked me where the evidence is. So I'm trying to answer the question in your language. I wouldn't use the word evidence. I would use a spiritual word like fruit. Okay. So you, okay. You would use euphemisms or whatever. So it's not a euphemism. It's a metaphor. Okay. Maybe I just 
misspoke or whatever, but you would use a word that represents something other than what it says. Yes. Is uh, is fruit uh, in that context, does that mean evidence? Are you calling that evidence? Well, we don't use... The answer is kind of yes. I mean, so uh, I think it's Paul who says, faith without works is dead. So what he means is, if you have some ideas in your mind about who God is and who you are, but it's not causing you to do anything in the world, then that is like a fruitless tree. You see a lot of fruitless tree metaphors. But you said the fruit was in your head, not outside, not, not your, not your acts. It was your faith. Mm -hmm. But I also said the transfer, like, uh, things which happen only in your head are by definition disconnected from the rest of reality. Right. So now we have the, not where God's happening though. Now we have the, well, in your head. Yes happening is is an interesting word i mean well, if just... my communion with god causes my consciousness to transform in such a way that it bears fruit and i then go and act in the world differently but the part in your head is detached from the reality part well you said right injecting dopamine According into to the what head you were just saying you said injecting dopamine into the body causes an experience in the head so an experience in the head can also move backward into not backward outward into physical reality as well. Sure. I'm just saying, you're saying it's happening in your head and therefore it's detached from yeah. reality. It's just interesting that you use that word. Well, what do you mean by detached? You don't think your head exists in reality? No, I'm just, that's what you just said. So I'm just saying it's interesting that you use that word detached, mm. but no, me, I said, when I said faith is dead, an interesting that's question. when it's, that's when it's detached. Or at least I hope do it's you, Do you hear how you're listening to the way that I'm talking and only looking to pick at the words that I'm saying? No, no, no I'm so just saying it's interesting that you said the word detached. That was an interesting use of the word. And yeah. it was interesting that you put that was the stuff in my that happens of in what your it, head. That was my description of the verse, faith without works is dead. And it was detached that's, that's, from reality. That's when what's in your head is detached from reality. And then we don't want a dead faith. That we want a living faith. That God, where God happens is in your head. And so that it's just, it was just interesting. But why is it interesting? I don't know. It's funny. A lot of the times if you listen to people, they'll tell you, they'll tell you what they really think and what they really feel. And mm. they'll, they'll show you even when they're not trying to things about how they think about what they're telling you that is that what you think just happened or is this your way of avoiding responding to what I'm saying? No, no, I'm not avoiding your because you're, you're twisting my words to mean something that they don't mean. And then just moving on as if I revealed some deep psychological truth to you. No, I said I, detached I, I, from reality in response to a spiritual condition in which your faith is dead. So a living faith is not detached from reality. Right. All right. But so do you think it's possible to have these like Now hold on. Hold mindsets? on. You haven't acknowledged that you understand what my point was. Your my point is that the God stuff happens in your head. And if you take that stuff and you put it out into the world and it bears fruit, if I guess if it does good things, mm. then that's a way that Christians or people that are religiously minded like you point to the reality of what they believe or point to this word uh, exists, not in the way that the notebook exists, but in a way that it exists by the fruits that we see it in the world. So your faith exists within you. 
And we know it exists because we see the fruits of that faith in the world is what I would say. That's great. That's great. The only difference I would say is that what you, I'm bringing this up in this conversation because I'm here to talk about these things, but the typical person who is living uh, their spiritual life and being transformed by their spiritual practice is not concerned with proving to other people that this is really happening. That's not how, I mean, that's not how I don't think anybody really works except for scientists specifically in the domain of their science, trying to prove with evidence that this mental model bears fruit or doesn't bear fruit. Um, this is, I think, and I'm not trying to dilly-dally here. I'm, I want to make this point very clear. This is why I think the, like, you said you've listened to a lot of debates between, like, Christian apologists and, and scientifically-minded people or, or atheists, whatever, right? Yeah, yeah, I've listened this to This is why I think those debates don't work, ultimately, is because the form of evidence that the scientifically-minded or the atheist wants to see is evidence like this notebook. But what the religious person is getting out of their practice is the transformation of their experience. Sure. That is the base level at which we experience reality, and it's the transformation of that that matters most to us. I would say this is why it's important to wash your hands, not because we hate germs, but because we like having this experience. We like to be here. We like to be alive, right? It's That's not, the same reason I gave when you asked. It is, but I want to illustrate that the scientific worldview assumes that... No. It doesn't capture that. It doesn't doesn't assume it. It asks. It asks people psychological questions and inquiry and asks them. And it also recognizes the difference between people that don't want to live and how they don't end up uh, propagating the next generation. But let me let me let me just ask something really quick while we're on this topic. Because I, I think we're it's interesting. So do you think it's possible to have these kinds of transformations, these these inter, you know, consciousness transformations and, and to bear fruit in the world without religion? Yes. Does that in any way undermine the validity that this is actually God and that you can, if you can do it without God or without religion, then why is, does that in any way undermine it? I mean, I certainly have gone through lots of consciousness transform transformation you know i mean i've gone through depression i've gone through oh yeah i don't know i could we don't have to turn this into a therapy session but i've gone through a lot of transformation in my life uh, especially since i stopped being religious and don't think at least that it's actually god working without me knowing i mean that would be weird i guess Mm. but if it is possible to have it without God, then that doesn't bother you at all, or that doesn't, I mean, it's not something that's exclusive to Christianity, so it's all the gods, I'm assuming, and then it's also people that don't have any gods. Hmm. Does that not bother you? No, it makes me very happy that people are going through these transformations in whatever way they can get access to them. Well, I, okay, so I'm, I mean, I'm with you, I'm happy people are being happy and doing good things in the world too, but doesn't that bother you when we, we talk about faith and God? And Why would it bother me? Because doesn't it in some way undermine this idea that it's God in your head? 
when it can happen in your head without God? I mean, isn't this just another example of like, we used to think this one phenomena was God and then we figured out that it's not. Would you like me to answer your leading question or would you like me to answer your other non-leading question? You could answer both (laughs) if you want. Um, That's not my responsibility. See, this is what I think fundamentalism gets wrong and it's why I think that most scientifically minded rationalists, especially the ones who aren't scientists, are fundamentalists in disguise is because they think that there's one truth, they have access to it, they're the arbiter and a pointer of what makes sense and what doesn't make sense, and that anything that conflicts with their way of being in the world must be false and needs to be taken down. So I've tried to release those, I've tried to release that idea of that I am the judge of what God is doing or what not God is not doing. I'm responsible for me and my experiences and my world, and that's what I focus on. But that doesn't make it just a personal proclamation. I'm doing with other people. I go to church with other people. No, no, I'm saying, like, the fact that you're saying God is doing this in your mind or in your head or whatever, and that one of the evidences of that happening is the fruit that it bears out in the world or whatever. The fact that that can happen without God, doesn't that put any doubt in your mind that maybe you're mistaken, that maybe it's not God and it's just who you are as a person? Like that there are people out there that are going to try to do good things and bear fruit, as you call it, in the world. And then there are other kinds of people that don't, you know, there's like psychopaths or whatever, or people that are, you know, just not disinterested in in other people or antisocial of of some kind. What's the question? Doesn't it lay a, just a, a little bit of doubt that maybe you're mistaken? That maybe you're just that kind of person? That you're just a, a well-rounded, evolved person that got on board the, in their head empathy and and, and morat, moral understanding and, and you know feeling a sense of I mean, your question- solidarity with other human beings so that you would do fruitful things. Your questions cover so many topics and meander around so many different ideas that it's hard to respond in a yes or no way to them. But the answer to the question, do I have doubts, is yes. Does that... What kind of a sane person doesn't have doubts? Does that give you any doubt? I I just said yes. But that specific thing, like that... I don't need to think about that. It doesn't bother me. Oh. What does give you doubt? That God exists. Also my experience... Really? Yeah. Like what? Are we doing a therapy session now? I thought you said we weren't going to do a therapy session. No, no. I, if it's too personal, that's fine. I just was curious. If, if there's something that is putting doubt in your mind about the existence of God. Well, I said my experience. You said like what? So I assume you want to hear the experiences. But I'm saying my experience as a whole leaves me room for doubt. Like if it were as obvious as that notebook that God exists and we wouldn't be having this conversation, right? Yeah, I agree with that for sure. At least about the part whether or not God exists. That's this conversation. Maybe not the worship part. Like you had added that on, like you were saying, well, what about worship? I'm not sure uh, that I would worship anything just because I don't see the point in it. Um, I definitely wouldn't worship the uh, Christian God based on the book. You mentioned that? You know, I mean, that would be 
that to me would be a disqualifier. Okay. Somebody that would behave in that way and call that love wouldn't be somebody that I would want to be inter interacting with on a regular basis. Hmm. Um, but I, I'm so sorry. We're like 15 minutes over. Yeah, let's do wrap you, it up. Do you want to just stop there? We can maybe just, we don't really need to have an outro. I can just sort of edit this into a, an outro. Well, it sounds like you got your money quote at the end. Well, you can have a, why don't you have the last word though? I don't, I don't have anything else to say. Oh, okay. I mean, I don't think you left with a question there. You just started talking more about your dislike for religion and Christianity. Well, I asked you if what it was that might plant seeds of doubt, but you didn't want to talk about that. And that's fine. Well, I said we my experience, like my experience of the world in the same way that it leads me to want to believe in God and to commune with him also leaves me with doubts about whether I believe in God and whether I am communing with him. Sure. And I, I've, you're asking what specifically, like what specific events or oh, I would yeah, I mean, I would to love doubts, to hear an example of that because it would be just. I wonder if we've had that in common, or if it's something. Uh, I, I think everybody goes through hard times in their life, right? You could just imagine a hard time in your life and imagine that I've had a similarly hard time, and yeah, I just don't. I just don't do the God part. Like I don't see a hard time or a good time as God yes, God no, or God no, God yes. Mm. Um, that's not, that doesn't do anything for me. So I, I would be curious to hear like what, what would happen or what experience would you have that would make you think maybe God doesn't exist. Hmm. But, but we don't, we don't have to go there. I, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to pry overly. I mean, I am curious. I would love to hear it, but we maybe don't have to talk about it right now specifically. Well, it's not like, it's not like it's some grand metaphysical, like, oh, this made me whatever. It's just like, like life is hard. And so it's hard to believe and and it also can seem really random and disconnected and and purposeless. So, what like you know you could have that experience standing in line at the DMV. Like, is there really a God? I've been standing here for two and a half hours, right? That'd be a trivial example, obviously. But you know, there's people go through hard things. Like, there's no there's no shortage of even if my life was perfect, right? Like if I was like the Buddha, where I lived in a golden palace. And then I went out and I saw the suffering that other people were experiencing. That could make me doubt God, right? So it's not, it, there's nothing special about the things that cause me doubt. They're the same. I don't have any special experiences that give me access to belief or doubt. They're all the same experiences that you're having. So you see suffering as a, as a potential gateway to doubt? Is that what you're saying? Like you I'm see people having a bad time? What seems like senseless suffering often seems like a gateway to doubt for sure really okay that's interesting well there you have it um there was our engaging and i thought at least from my perspective well thought out discussion now uh, i personally didn't get much from nathan however i do have uh, some notes from this episode that I am going to do a retrospective on this particular episode. And I think I'm going to splice in my thoughts into the specific parts of what he was saying so that I give you what he's saying in context and then point out why I think it's ridiculous or wrong or dishonest or whatever. One of the huge benefits of what you just heard was you really get to see just how dishonest Nathan can be, how dishonest Christians can be. 
And you start to get an idea of a worldview that is very self-absorbed. I don't know if you caught that at the very end of the conversation, but he was trying to describe to us how all he cares about is his immediate interaction with reality and how that's changed through what he's calling communing with Jesus in his mind. He fails to bring Jesus into reality. He fails to demonstrate his existence and further just reiterates that this is all just in his head. So an interesting performance. Now, back to that worldview, that little bubble. You're going to hear more about that little bubble in the next episode. Please do join us and thank you for listening to Ear Seduction. Ah!